Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of All In. It's Mario's 35th anniversary, and let's just say that we here at All In are going all M to celebrate. My name is Jump Up Super Seth, and geez, is that is that little Eric, the, the Manticore? I'm Super Eric 128, and yeah, this this is that same little Eric. He's just grown so much over the past week we've had him that for this Mario extravaganza, I kind of figured I would try to ride him like Yoshi. Well, that doesn't sound like a great idea. We've got a ton of stuff planned for this blowout episode, like telling everybody what the Mario series has meant to us personally over the years, and even counting down Mario's top five most impressive moments ever. I, I know... I know, it's also been an insane news week that we need to round up, and we're even bringing a Mario-inspired title for this week's Indie Showcase. It's a hat in time from developer Gears for Breakfast. But come on, at the rate little Eric is growing, this might be my only chance to live out my Yoshi dream. You know what? Fine, but he'd better not wreck the HQ in the process, and you better not get yourself hurt, because in our final segment today, celebrating 35 years of Super Mario, we're sitting down with Bowser himself, Kenny James, to talk about the most iconic franchise in gaming history, and I will never forgive you if you screw that up. That's fair. Deal. Onward, little Eric! It's time to go all in. Yeah, I can see this going poorly. Dude, are you okay? Yeah, I'll be okay. Uh, I don't think anything broke inside the HQ, at least. Uh, I. Yeah, what what exactly happened? Uh, well, it, it turns out manticores really aren't meant to be bipedal. But uh, I don't know. Maybe my mistake was I was trying to go bareback. I think that was it. But uh, you learn and uh, you, you move on. And uh, next time will be even better. Might even finish 15 seconds. But uh, the show must go on. Show to do. Little Eric is eating downstairs, watching him via the baby monitor, so hopefully he'll be okay. But uh, let's do this. I'm good. Let's do this. I'm good. Let's do this. Recuperate. We got a show to do. What's been going on this week? Uh, Well... Aside from needing medical insurance, possibly. That is not covered in uh, in the all-in stipulations. It's it's not all in there? <laughs> it is not. It is not all-inclusive uh, health coverage. should have read the fine print. <laughs> I picked up Moonlighter. It's an indie game, a roguelike on the Nintendo Switch that I have been very interested in. Haven't had a chance to crack it open and play it yet, but I did pick it up. I'm still toiling away at Yoshi's Crafted World. Still toiling away at Ukulele. I've been jumping around so much trying to get a bunch of stuff done. I haven't actually even beaten ukulele yet, even though I started it a couple weeks ago. But the impossible layer. Have you found it to be impossible? Uh, as soon as I go through it, I'll let you know. I'm trying to do as much as I can in the game before I go through it. <laughs> yeah, that is recommendable. Yeah, there's a lot of games I do try to complete as much as possible. You know, not something to where if 
people and developers put in just completely astronomically ludicrous requirements. I won't sit there for a hundred hours, just, you know, like in dead rising, trying to kill 50,000 zombies just for the sake oh, of getting sure. an achievement. But, but for many games, I do like to try to get the most out of it. So when I play a game like ukulele, I want to try to beat as many of the levels as I can, because one of the interesting things about ukulele is that you can kind of go through the final stage apparently at any time. So, yep, absolutely. Which is a, a very interesting design choice, but I'm trying to get as much protection, I guess, is what I'm doing. I'll find out, I guess. But I will certainly let everybody know my final thoughts on the game once I complete it. I did want to bring up that Mulan, the live action Mulan, came out this week. And I know yeah. you and I both watched it. Uh, I got to say, I'm. For the Disney live action remakes, they're not really a, a big thing where it's like, oh, oh, the next live action remake is coming out next week. I better go see it. I better go be there opening night. I got to pre-order mm-hmm. my tickets right now. I, right. I, I mean, they've been fine for the most part. I honestly prefer most of the animated versions, but a lot of them have had their moments and they have, you know, they do have their endearing qualities. I thought Will Smith did a really good job as the genie. I mean, as good as he could do. I was going to say that that's actually Aladdin is the one of the live action movies. I think Aladdin is the one that I actually prefer to the original. I mean, ultimately, I got to pick Robin Williams. He he absolutely makes that movie. Of course. But, you know, it's funny. I was telling a friend uh, before he saw it for the first time. I was like, but you know what, though, man, I'll tell you what. Will Smith really does do a lot to differentiate himself. And of course the performance, you know, Robin Williams totally owns that and makes that movie. But I mean, you'll, you'll kind of put those Robin Williams thoughts to the side for two hours for a little bit. Will Will Smith really, I think did a, did a pretty great job. He did. And the way they'd shown off and the way they'd kind of portrayed this Mulan live action remake did get me really, really interested because they were kind of marketing it. Like it was, a House of Flying Daggers, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, kind of a, a Kung Fu Disney movie. And there are elements in there. Jet Li is in the movie. Donnie Yen is in the movie. I was going to say they kind of, yeah, they, they kind of did do that a little bit. Uh, there are, again, a couple things I still prefer with the original. And there are some major, major differences between the animated oh, sure. and the live action remake, even more so than most of the live action remakes. This one is is pretty different. Uh, and most of the main plot beats are still going to be hit the same way. But uh, yeah, there, there are some very, very, very key differences, uh, specifically with the removal of a certain character. Yeah, I think that's been pretty, pretty fairly well publicized. I think that, you know, that and the fact that there are no like musical numbers in the movie, really, even though they do reference some of the songs um, in the music. Oh, yeah. The, the tunes are definitely in there, but the lyrics aren't. Right. Exactly. Um, but it, it's a very different style of movie. I mean, the movie is ostensibly a war movie. Yeah. And it, it's it's more so more so than being based on the cartoon or the the animated movie. It's based on the actual legend itself, you know, the the actual Chinese fable itself rather than the animated movie that was then based on that. You know, that's so some of the things like 
you know, some of the things that sort of made that appeal more to a, to an animated film and, and the audience of an animated film have been removed here. Like, just like you said, you are going to get some of the major plot beats, but there have been some notable changes and removals do not come into this thinking that it is going to be just like the cartoon. It's not. No, it's much more grounded. There are obviously those elements of the supernatural and the magical. It is still a Disney movie, but yep. it, it is something very different than what we've seen Disney do basically ever. And I, I really enjoyed it. I got to say, I really enjoyed it. I might prefer it. I think I might actually prefer it to the animated movie. Now, don't get me wrong. Love Ming-Na Wen. Love Ming-Na Wen's portrayal in the original but I, they they do a really really good job. I think the new person they got up, I, I don't remember her name off the top of my head, but I think the actress did a very very good job. Uh, Donnie Yen's always great to see in anything, obviously, and then you know Jet Li, same, always great to see in anything, obviously. Yeah, uh, it's it. This conversation was never really around the movie, but it is also nice to see. This whole idea of whitewashing that, you know, none of the characters in the movie, I, I believe they were all Chinese born actors. Yeah, I actually that was a big deal for for a lot of the folks that worked on the film. I uh, so I've been a fan of uh, Jimmy Wong's for a while and follow him on Twitter and he plays Ling in the movie and you know very, mm -hmm. very small role. But he's in there. Yeah. And uh, and so that was kind of cool to see. And I, I follow him on Twitter. And yeah, that was a big deal for like you could just. He, on set, he, he said that that was always like super present, just the respect for, you know, for the sort of uh, the Chinese heritage of everybody involved in the in the process. So and there's of course, there's been a lot of drama involved with the production and stuff like that. A lot of, you know, news articles being ran, but taking the movie as a movie, I, I really liked it. I did, too. So. With movie experiences finally starting to kind of come back, and that's essentially what, ostensibly, Mulan, the premiere access, the $30 premiere access, is is basically them trying to recoup something resembling movie ticket sales. Right. But I, I, I think it's worth checking out. Now, we'll come to Disney Plus for everybody who has a Disney Plus subscription, I believe, in December but before then, if you want to drop $30, watch it with your family. I do recommend it. I thought it was a really well done live action remake. And I think Jason Scott Lee is super underrated. Glad to see him still working. Absolutely. Well, I got to be honest. That's pretty much all that I had going on this week was watching Mulan. I don't have a whole lot to add. Sadly, it's been a whole lot of uh, preparation and getting things together for this special episode. So. Well, one very important thing I know you did do this week. You were finally able to go home. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I should mention that. I'm home now. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I'm finally home. You don't have to hear, uh, you know, any uh, back to the old audio quality, hopefully. Uh, yeah, finally home. Home <laughs> and safe. We've, uh, I will say, <laughs> quick anecdote before we move on. We, we had the foresight. We left really kind of last minute because we originally planned to to stay and ride out the uh, horribleness after the hurricane. We were here for the hurricane. We evacuated after the hurricane hit. But <laughs> we we kind of like made the very last minute decision to go ahead and leave because like it just became so unbearable to stay. And uh, <laughs> we cleaned out our fridge 
as best we could because we didn't know how long we were going to be without power. However, one thing that I forgot in the fridge <laughs> was uh, if you, if any uh, anybody else who is a cook, anybody else who loves to cook, you know what I'm talking about. You hang on to your bacon grease. Bacon grease is liquid gold for a cook. And I'm somebody who likes to cook. I had a little thing of bacon grease in our fridge that sadly melted once the heat hit it. And so mm-hmm. we came home to a stinky fridge, had to clean had to clean it out and bleach it. And we we've since restocked and everything's fine, kind of somewhat back to normal. But yeah. I'm home. Yay. Yeah, with no bacon grease. Oh. <laughs> no bacon grease. Gotta, you know, all that means is I've gotta, you know, make some more bacon to uh to restock on that. So <laughs> I'll have no issue doing that. But uh anyway, that's that's quite literally. It's it's been uh you know it's been a crazy week getting everything ready for you guys for this awesome episode. But you know, it's been a crazy week in terms of news too. So uh, if you're ready to do this, let's get right into it. True story. Let's do this. Hey, listen. Well, despite the fact there was really nothing to glean from Ubisoft's first forward event, uh we were still looking forward to this next one that happened just a couple days ago and there was a couple Switch titles shown off at Ubisoft Forward. Yay! They didn't forget about us after all. They didn't forget that Nintendo existed. Yay! Uh, one of them, we were talking about a, a couple weeks ago after Brian Lee O'Malley specifically tweeted out that he had been contacted by Ubisoft. We we kind of wished and predicted and hoped and said the Ubisoft Forward is coming up Man, it would be really nice to see Scott Pilgrim there. And lo and behold, Scott Pilgrim, the complete edition, is coming to the Nintendo Switch late this year. Oh, man, I'm so excited. Yes. It was delisted on the PlayStation 3, and ever since then, people have been up in arms. Legitimately one of the best beat-em-ups of all time. Uh, it, it is my favorite beat-em-up of all time. Full stop. I think it is mine too. The game is just amazing in every aspect of it. Beautiful pixel art aesthetic, very River City Ransom style uh, stat increases, multiple playable characters. One of the best soundtracks of all time. By the immaculate Anamanaguchi, just top to bottom. And this is something that I've told you, Seth. I don't know if I've said it on the show, but just in terms of an intellectual property, I don't know if I've ever been as impressed with an intellectual property across so many different forms of media as I am with Scott Pilgrim. The books were amazing. I own both the black and white and the color edition. The movie is fantastic. Also celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. The soundtrack, the CD is great. And the game is fantastic. Fantastic. The soundtrack for the game and the movie, by the way. Yes. The movie soundtrack is also amazing. Uh, absolutely. And if you've never had the opportunity to play the Scott Pilgrim beat-em-up and you're even remotely interested in the genre or Scott Pilgrim, I definitely recommend picking it up when Scott Pilgrim The Complete Edition drops late this year. Would love to talk more about it, but we, we've got so much stuff to get to that... Uh, yeah. I don't know if we can, but very, uh, we're definitely looking forward to recompleting that later on this year, and maybe we'll have reasons to talk about it in the few, uh, in the coming weeks. Hey, I mean, we're definitely going to be talking about it when it comes out. We play it some more. So online co-op, let's do it. 
Yeah, we played Street to Rage 4 recently. Let's get on and play Scott Pilgrim online. I'm down. I got Wallace. Uh, that's fine. I got Knives. And that wasn't the only game for the Nintendo Switch revealed at Ubisoft Forward. We had previously seen a little bit of this game called Immortals Phoenix Rising. And lo and behold, that is also coming to the Switch. Which, I mean, does make sense considering it just kind of looks like a Breath of the Wild clone. But considering Breath of the Wild is one of the greatest games of all time, maybe not so bad to ape that style. So, I mean, I'll be interested in seeing what this looks like. Obviously, Ubisoft hasn't really been, or the Switch hasn't really been a priority for Ubisoft. But, I mean, this isn't a Switch exclusive title, so hopefully they're putting enough resources behind it to make it at least a modest success. Yeah, this one was uh, originally revealed as Gods and Monsters. They wound up delaying the game, kind of rebranding it as this Immortals Phoenix Rising. Pretty horrible title, to be honest. But you know what? Game looks cool. It is a shameless Breath of the Wild clone, but that's okay. (laughs) I'm fine with that. Uh, There are actually plenty of uh, previews uh, a lot of uh, media influencers and stuff, uh, they, they've had a chance to put a couple of hours of time in with the game that have now gone live. So if you're curious about the game, there's plenty of gameplay floating around and you can kind of get a look at what we're talking about. But yeah, that's coming to pretty much everything, including the Switch on December 3rd. So it might be something to keep an eye on. Might be. We've certainly gone from having no games to be excited about to having quite a few games to be excited about on the Nintendo Switch. So... Hopefully we can fit that one in. Speaking of Scott Pilgrim, you know, and how excited we are for that. <laughs> yes. The the very nature of Scott Pilgrim being delisted is sort of at the heart and soul of the mantra of limited run games. You know, obviously we're huge limited run fans. Talk about them all the time. Interviewed uh, Douglas Bocard on the show. Uh, you can go back and listen to that episode. It was a great interview. And they've got a ton of stuff on the docket this week. They've actually got Shantae Day going on as of yesterday. Yes. Where uh, there are now open pre-orders for several Shantae games. And not just that, but you can even pre-order Steelbooks for Half Genie Hero and Pirate's Curse to complete your Shantae Steelbook collection. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of giving you that layup there if you want to complete the Steelbook collection for, for the hardcore collectors. I haven't done it yet, but I, I know I'm going to. I know I'm absolutely going to. Yeah. So... Really cool. All that stuff now available for open pre-orders. Go check that out, especially if you're a Shantae fan. They also kind of, in the light of this Scott Pilgrim announcement, yes. kind of coyly, kind of coyly, uh, maybe maybe teased a little something on Twitter. I don't know if I'd go as far as to call it a tease. We don't know. Obviously, nothing has been confirmed. But Limited Run did post a GIF on Twitter that was sort of like it was a Scott Pilgrim related one, and you know. It, all, all of our, our fanboy hearts went pitter-patter when we saw it yeah. because we just want nothing more in this life than for a limited-run Scott Pilgrim release. <sighs> man, so, man, it really frustrates me when companies specifically do this, that they specifically stir the pot. I initially thought that it was just kind of a solidarity post, like, hey, we don't have anything to do with this, but we're really super happy to see Scott Pilgrim coming back. And then I kind of thought... right. You know what? Maybe they are trying to say something because all, just like you said, all it was was a little gif and it, it, that that's it. That's it. But it was enough to get people talking. And ultimately now 
I went back and forth on it. I think what it was now ultimately was a post to gauge the interest level. Mm. Could be. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it privately before we started recording. I, I wholeheartedly believe that if Limited Run were to secure this deal for a physical release of this game, it would handily be the the most successful product they've ever launched. I mean, very probably, yeah. You and I give enough of our money to the company already, but we would, like, whatever they set up, whatever soundtrack they set up, whatever special edition they set up for that game, I mean, I'm, it's already bought, as far as I'm concerned, if they are able to secure that license. Now, again, talking about our interview with Douglas Bogart, this might be reaching a little bit, but this is actually something you brought up to me, Seth. Yeah. Uh, he did mention that they were working on something big. And you brought that up to me. You said it was interesting that he said that. And uh, again, this might be reaching, but maybe it could be that. Yeah, he he said something to, to my recollection, because we were kind of talking to him about like, you know, upcoming stuff that they might have going on. And he said something to the effect of like, we're, we're working on something really big. Can't talk about it, of course. But, uh, you know, maybe it's that. I don't know. The, obviously, that's this is all just conjecture on our part. But, you know, regardless... You know, if, if Douglas happens to be listening to this, hi, we would really love to see that happen. And here's all of our money. Thanks. <laughs> all of it. Just all of it. That's episode six, by the way. If you want to go back and listen to that interview, I highly recommend you do. It was a great chat with uh, with Douglas Bogart. So Yeah, always happy to talk to a fellow Dreamcast fan. <laughs> well, speaking of physical goods. Yes, 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 yes. One thing that made me really happy was that we are finally... We've seen this happen in the Japanese markets and the European markets. This is, you know, kind of small potatoes to start with, but we are finally seeing physical goods appearing on the North American My Nintendo store for the first time this week. We got some Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition stickers, a Monado, I think it's a phone holder, like a thing you put on the back of your phone. I thought it was a keychain. <laughs> it's something. Yeah, it's something like you you stick it on the back of your phone, and I think you you use it as like a hook or something like that to put your phone on. I, I don't even know what it is, but it's there. And there's a Splatoon postcard set. And you know, for those <laughs> that don't know, Club Nintendo used to be such a major thing to get physical Nintendo exclusive merchandise, and it's just. Really cool to see that come back in any capacity. And I hope this is a sign of things to come. Well, I don't know. Nintendo's uh, certainly been a little all over the place. But, I mean, even in the midst of the Super Mario 35th anniversary, they decided to, out of nowhere, drop a trailer for a brand new Zelda title. Oh, oh. It looks so amazing. So for those who don't know, somehow haven't heard yet, just a few days ago, <laughs> Nintendo dropped the trailer for Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, specifically taking Ugh. place 100 years before the events of Breath of the Wild. Looking like, I mean, from the trailer, looking like a canonical prequel, honestly. This, this has got to be canonical. Abs I think this is absolutely canonical. 
This is the period of time that everybody who played Breath of the Wild wanted to see, wanted to go through. And this Musou style, like army hack and slash gameplay fits this this kind of setting and this place and time in the Breath of the Wild story so perfectly. And man, like this almost makes too much sense. And I can't believe I never thought about it. The only person who did think about it was John Cartwright, who apparently is a prophet of some kind. Yeah, well, you make enough predictions. A few of them got to be true. But yeah, it I mean it looks it looks really really good. The first Hyrule Warriors was kind of a novelty, but this one seems like it has like a direction. Like it has a point and a narrative and a purpose to it. The thing about these Musou games, especially, you know, Hyrule Warriors was was definitely the start of it. And it was kind of like, they, they definitely did a lot with that game. There's a lot to love about that game. But it was very much like just the, the starting point. And then you saw with Fire Emblem Warriors, we saw them kind of get a little more advanced, kind of incorporating elements from that game. They've, of course, done now Persona 5 Phantom Strikers. And again, we're seeing with each of these releases, with each of these like Musou versions of these properties, they're kind of getting more and more advanced. And now, I mean, Age of Calamity looks like it is essentially a Breath of the Wild prequel because they have completely nailed the visual aesthetic. Like it looks virtually identical to Breath of the Wild's engine. The cutscenes, the voice acting, we do not know for sure that the entire cast is returning, but we can assume that they probably are. Um, we've only heard Zelda speak really in the trailer. And, uh, and you know, that sounds like Patricia Somerset to me. So I, I, th- I think it's pretty safe to assume that the original cast is returning and being able to play as them all. I mean, th- this just looks amazing. If you can't tell, I'm excited. Yeah, <laughs> I am too. I can't wait to play as Rivali, but um, it looks like you can play as all of, the characters, basically the entire cast of characters from Breath of the Wild, uh, possibly even the king. Yeah, you know, I could see them doing the king as like kind of a jokey kind of character because they they did have uh, the King of Red Lions playable in the first one. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I assume it's going to be more than that. And there was quite a bit of DLC with Hyrule Warriors, the first one. Yes. So, yes, uh, I, I could definitely see this winding up being a pretty expansive adventure with a lot of different playable characters, as is typical for the genre. But if that's the type of game you're in, or if you're just looking for something to hold you over until Breath of the Wild 2 comes out, this looks like it is definitely going to scratch an itch. Oh man, this this is going to be the perfect thing to hold people over for Breath of the Wild. Because again, we're, we're finally getting, this is the thing that everybody wanted to see. Like, everybody wanted to see what actually happened during this time. There are new things of lore. Like, in the trailer, it looks like we see young Impa. And I mean, like, if this were any other week, we would have done a full trailer breakdown of this, 100%. Uh, but, you know, it's you know we we got to focus on another Nintendo IP this week. It's it's a celebration after all. But, uh, <laughs> but this was such an exciting announcement. I almost couldn't believe that they announced this during you know in the midst of all this Mario news. Like we also get a new Zelda game. Excuse me. Yeah, this really felt like something they should have saved. Not that I'm mad that we're getting it very soon, but it really feels like something they almost kind of should have saved for Zelda's 35th anniversary next year. Well, it's it's a one-two punch, man. It's it's I think that this is the the start of it. I mean, this is coming out November 20th. Um they they are sort of uh 
kind of taking this a little bit seriously. I think this is going to be this and all the Mario stuff. I think this is the big, you know, this is Nintendo being like, hi, here we are for the holiday in terms of first party releases. You know, we've also still got Pokemon expansion on the way, the Crown Tundra. Uh, We presumably have at least one more Smash Fighter coming before the end of the year. And we've got, you know, third party stuff, of course, too. Uh, I think we are still expecting to see another partner showcase by the end of the year. You know, Mario Kart Live. There, there's so much stuff. I think that like when I when I look at 2020 in terms of Nintendo releases, I am not going to look at it as a light year at all. Pikmin 3 is still on the horizon. I mean, there there is plenty in the pipe. Well, I initially thought that my, my initial thought when I saw that Hyrule Warriors was coming out on November 20th was why are they doing this now? Why aren't they doing this for the Zelda 35th anniversary? Which immediately led me to think because they're going to have Breath of the Wild come out for the Zelda 35th anniversary and they don't want this game stepping on its toes. However, mm-hmm. we actually got a message this past week from Zelda series producer A.G. Numa, and specifically talking about Breath of the Wild 2. Quote, we mentioned in the June 2019 Nintendo Direct presentation that we had started development on the sequel to The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Many people around the world are still playing Breath of the Wild, so I'd like to thank you all from the bottom of my heart. Everyone, thank you so much. Regarding the sequel, in order to make the vast world you've enjoyed exploring in the original game even more impressive, the team is working hard on its development so you'll have to wait a bit longer before we can provide more updates. So that that sounds that sounds like a delay just because why say that if it's not? I've got some theories. I've got some theories. I I think there are a couple of interesting things to take away from here, right? So um I still think that we could be looking at breath of, I know there could obviously there could be a delay. Um but I still think that the, that we could very well be looking at Breath of the Wild 2 for spring 2021, and they're coming out ahead of this and saying it because they don't want people to expect to hear about it. Probably even, I don't even think that we're going to hear anything about this game through the end of the year. I don't think that necessarily means a delay, though. Nintendo has shown us, if nothing else in 2020, that they are not afraid to talk about a game you know, as, as evidenced with 3D All-Stars, even just weeks before releasing it. So, I mean, they could hold their cards very close to the chest with Breath of the Wild 2 up until, you know, January, February of 2021 and still release it in March, April alongside a Switch Pro. I think that's a very feasible scenario. Obviously, delays are still totally possible because of COVID, because of the working from home conditions and stuff. Um, I think that's still totally a possibility. But yeah, like you said, I mean, this has been a year and a half now that they announced that development had started. And he also says here, another interesting thing I think to take away from this, he says here in this quote, in order to make the vast world you've enjoyed exploring in the original game even more impressive, which to me says that it is going to be built off of the bones of Breath of the Wild's Hyrule which we already sort of assumed, but I think that statement more or less confirms it. I can understand that reading. Uh, I I do try to be a little cautious when trying to read in like that. He could just potentially be talking about, you know, them working on an environment and getting it to the point where 
maybe another publisher would be happy with it. Maybe another developer would be happy with it, but they want to make it even more impressive. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic. I want this game to come out as soon as possible. And I could certainly see them, like you said, building it off the bones of Breath of the Wild. But uh, I don't know. I I feel like that might be reading a little bit too much into it. Maybe. It's possible. I've been known to do that. It's, uh, But that, that's what I think this is. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Breath of the Wild 2 is... I, I think I might have even said this on the show when we talked about um, the things that we want to see from Breath of the Wild 2. I, I think that they are kind of going the Dark World approach. I think it's going to be very much its own thing and be considered like a proper sequel. But I think this is going to be a proper sequel in the way that Majora's Mask was, where you know they, they've got enough of a foundation there where they don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel again. Breath of the Wild was so unique, you can totally give us a sequel with that and, and make work you know maybe a little halfway easier for yourself in the process. So I don't know, man. I think it's still <laughs> totally possible. We'll have to see. Uh, Aonuma says we're going to have to wait a bit longer before we get some updates, though. So, Well, I assume those updates are coming some point next year for the Zelda 35th anniversary celebration. And we will yes. definitely let you guys know if and when any of those do drop. Well, regardless of what happens, uh, obviously, because of COVID, because of just 2020, uh, things change and plans change, even for Nintendo. And... Something that was noticed by some folks kind of imply that maybe the 35th anniversary plans were supposed to be announced back in April. Uh, <laughs> this is pretty funny. On the page for the 35th anniversary event for Super Mario Maker, on the webpage for it, Nintendo seemingly forgot to update the event dates in the image there because it reads on there or read on there before it got removed that the event will take place from April 14th through April 21st. So that kind of confirms it. Nintendo was originally planning to announce all this Mario 35th anniversary stuff way back in April before COVID obviously ruined the plans. Hijacked the year. Yeah. So exactly. I mean, that they had to have still, I don't know. Maybe they were still actually trying to finalize stuff. I don't know. I I felt like a lot of the stuff was done and ready to ship. Like the Mario 3D All-Stars, the Pikmin 3 Deluxe, the, you know, obviously Mario All-Stars, Paper Mario, the Origami King. Like all this stuff was done by the time we found out about it. So like even with COVID basically hijacking this year, it all should have been close enough to being finished that Nintendo could have, if they wanted to, announced it back in April with little to no repercussions. Yeah, I think that if uh, if COVID never happened, I think that was absolutely the plan. Uh, announce it in late April to sort of build hype up to E3. Maybe they would have even shadow dropped it around E3 time or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, I think that was totally the plan. I mean, if you remember... This is about the time that we started hearing back in like April, May. This is when we started hearing those rumors about Mario 3D All-Stars for the first time, which, you know, it's now been officially announced and stuff. But the reason that those rumors were so corroborated by so many people is because there was so much hard evidence because of things like this. Things were already in place. You know, marketing materials are already, you know, already kind of being finalized. I mean, I think they were ready to pull the trigger on this thing and COVID just really mucked it all up. So 
they just kind of rode on the Animal Crossing train for a while. And luckily, that was more than enough to sustain them through the year. And they've been sort of picking up the pieces. And now we're finally in full swing with it. But yeah, it looks like the original plan was for late April. It is just really interesting because Nintendo's, again, we, we've been talking for a couple months now at this point with how weird Nintendo's marketing strategy has seemed to be, especially over the past few mm-hmm. months. And if they had just announced this stuff back in March or April, like I think the entire conversation around Nintendo would have been completely, completely different this year. So just an interesting decision. I mean, ultimately, they have very much righted the ship. And everybody who had any doubts about what was going on over at the big end, a lot of that has been completely assuaged. But, you know, just still looking back, I I think 2020, even in the midst of COVID, I think it'll be a very interesting case study for them in terms of their marketing and their communication with their fan base. And ultimately this story turns out to be nothing more than an anecdote, but it is a very interesting one. Absolutely. And they certainly have right of the ship because uh, next thing I've got here is that Amazon us has revealed that super Mario 3d all-stars is already the second best selling physical game of the year, just behind animal crossing. Wow. The game's not even out yet. My dude. Do we actually have a number on that or have they just said it's the second best? They've just said it's the second best. As a matter of fact, yes, we don't have a hard number. However, and we won't know hard numbers until, you know, until September NPD comes down. That won't be for another month or so. Um, And we'll get August NPD hopefully pretty soon. I'll actually probably be talking about that next week on the show. Um, However, what I do have for you now, Amazon US has provided the top 10 physical games sold so far from Amazon in the US in 2020. I do have that. And you're going to find this really interesting because mm-hmm. only two titles in the top 10 selling physical games sold so far in 2020 in Amazon US are not Nintendo first party exclusives. Only two. So, number 1 is Animal Crossing New Horizons. Number of 2 course. is Super Mario 3D All-Stars, mm-hmm. which we know about that. Number three is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Number four is The Last of Us Part 2. Wow. Number five is Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Number six is Ring Fit Adventure. Number seven is Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Number eight is Paper Mario the Origami King. Number nine is Luigi's Mansion 3. And number 10 is Just Dance 2020. Those are right now the top 10 best-selling physical games sold in Amazon in the U.S. (laughs) To think that Mario 3D All-Stars has already outsold The Last of Us 2. Like, that's insane. Uh, Yeah, now, to be fair, I don't know how that's going to play in the grand scheme of things once you account for digital sales. A lot of the folks that bought The Last of Us, of course, did buy that game digitally. So we don't know the way those numbers are going to shake out in the end of it. But yeah, in terms of physical copies, Mario's already outsold it. And that's nuts. And the fact that Nintendo first-party software has just dominated that list, um, that that goes hand-in-hand with just how many Switches have been sold this year. Yep. Because all these games, they're all games that have been out, some of them for a couple years now. And what what that boils down to is... Folks are finally getting their hands on switches and they're, and they're got it for the pandemic. And they're like, Hey, what am I going to do now? I'm going to hop on Amazon. I'm going to order myself a copy of Zelda or smash or whatever. 
So, yeah, Nintendo's doing fine. It's just so interesting that we're in a situation where Amazon's top purchased physical games, like several of them in the top 10, are already multiple years old. That's just so interesting. It's just really an indicator of how bizarre this year has shaked out. So crazy, man. All this stuff is obviously going to be very different come November once the competition kind of starts floating around. But then I think the pendulum will swing the other way probably in 2021 when Nintendo's probably going to have something of their own coming out. Yeah. Funny you should mention that, Seth. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked about what we wanted to see in the next iteration of the Switch, the supposed Switch Pro. And one of the big things we talked about was upgraded display, specifically 4K. Because the PlayStation 4 Pro and the Xbox One X current gen systems already output in 4K. So we said Nintendo Mm -hmm. has to match that with the Xbox Series X and the PS5 coming out. And it looks, according to Bloomberg, that that is the case. Because, and granted, these are anonymous developer sources that are reporting to Bloomberg, but these developers are saying they are being asked by Nintendo to ensure that their games are 4K ready. And obviously, there would only be one reason Nintendo would be saying that to these developers. So if these are true, if these reports are true, then that is essentially confirmation that the next iteration of the Switch will output in 4K. Maybe not in handheld mode, but it will output in 4K. Yeah, so they that's actually something that happens quite a bit uh, with with you know publishers and especially when it comes to Nintendo and they're t- and they're basically relaying to I'm assuming that this is coming from third party sources. We don't know that these are anonymous sources that that Bloomberg's citing, but I'm assuming it's third party. Uh, first party sources are not going to let s- uh, stuff like this slip. However, yeah. Basically, that's the kind of stuff that happens all the time when you're talking to your partners. You're saying, hey, we've got this new system on the horizon. In order to future-proof the software that you're currently developing, hey, let's ensure that it's going to be 4K capable so that when we launch this thing, you know, presumably in next spring, sometime in 2021, when we have the Switch Pro on the market, your game will be compatible. And I do presume that it's going to employ the sort of 4K checkerboarding effect that the PS4 Pro uh, employs. But to me... That's fine. As long as it's outputting at 4K, you just you've got to stay competitive in that way. And 4K has basically become the bottom line industry standard. I mean, people are already starting to talk about 8K and ridiculous like that. So, uh, you know, 4K has got to be the baseline at a certain point. But what do you guys think? Are you excited for the potential of being able to play all of these amazing Nintendo Switch games in 4K? Are you going to pick up the Switch Pro when it more than likely, almost guaranteed, releases early next year? Take that to the bank. (laughs) Take the Switch to the bank. I don't know what you'll do with it once you get there, but (laughs) I mean, you know, you could play it there. You could play it at the bank. (laughs) But reach out to us on Facebook at All In. Reach out to us on Twitter at All In Podcast. And please do subscribe to our wonderful podcast on whatever service you are listening to it on. And it's it's been such a crazy news week. We haven't even talked about the fact that Pikmin 3 was put back up on the Wii U eShop after being taken down. Following the announcement of Pikmin 3 Deluxe, we haven't talked about the fact that, unfortunately, No More Heroes 3 and Grasshopper Studios have officially confirmed a delay 
again of No More Heroes 3. We haven't talked anything about Lab Zero. We haven't had time to talk about the fact that somebody got Doom running on a pregnancy test. There was just so much stuff we didn't have time to get to because we have a celebration to get to. It is, again, the 35th anniversary of the release of Super Mario Brothers. And... To kick things off, to kick off our extravaganza, we thought we would just take a few minutes to let you guys know what the series has meant to us in our lives. So obviously Seth and I do a Nintendo podcast but even beyond an appreciation for the company and all the different games that it produces the mario franchise has had a very significant impact in our lives on a personal level i have a tattoo on my arm that mario brothers is a part of Mm. so and i know obviously it's meant a lot to you over the years as well buddy yeah i mean like it's gonna be uh (laughs) <laughs> we got we got to try to not get emotional talking about this. It's a it's a bit of a heavy topic. I mean, Mario, yeah, has just meant I can I can firmly say without any hesitation that I would not be the person I am today without Super Mario. Completely agree. And I know that is probably weird like for some people to hear. Um there's some people really like how can a video game mean that much to you? The the things that Mario has done for the gaming industry, the things that Mario has done for Nintendo and, and the ways that has impacted the things that made me the person I am today cannot be overstated. Mario is immensely important to me. I remember vaguely, vaguely as a three-year-old at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And there was a kindly old lady that lived right next door to our family. And she had a Nintendo. And in my child brain, I I feel like I remember going over there every day. I probably didn't get (laughs) past the third level, which although considering I was three, I think is pretty good. But I felt like every day I would go over there and boot it up and play Super Mario Brothers. And then... The next year, we moved from Fort Bragg to Camp Zama, Japan. And that Christmas, in one of the formative moments of my life, I came downstairs Christmas morning and saw Super Mario Brothers playing on my own television. My parents had, I'm sorry, Santa had set it up (laughs) in the night, had unboxed it and hooked it up and had it ready and waiting for me when I woke up and came downstairs and again, that one of my, my, my earliest, my actual earliest memories in life are associated with super Mario brothers, not just the series, but the game celebrating its anniversary. This is a little bit of a heavy one, but it just, it just will signify how Mario has sort of been there for me, even in tough moments of my life when, you know, I'm a kid like many, Uh, I come from a history of divorce. Uh, My parents divorced when I was fairly young. And it was very much a situation where, you know, my mom was young 
and she was just sort of doing the best that she could. And we were kind of like staying with, with her friends and stuff like that. And one of my early memories is staying with one of her friends and there, they had a son named Brandon and, you know, we were around the same age. He was, I think a little younger or older than me one way or the other. And anyway, to escape sort of the horribleness of our situation, that was, that was what we did. We just played Mario together and, you know, Mario was that, that was my first sort of like, without realizing it, my sort of first brush with video game escapism was losing myself in the mushroom kingdom and playing Mario with this guy where we were sort of slumming it on their couch, just trying to make it work. And so, I mean, yeah, when, when I think about stuff like that, I realize, you know, in that moment, it sounds cheesy, but Mario was kind of there for me in that moment, you know, and I'll never forget that. Well, I mean, growing up in the military, it was, it was a very, very long time before I kind of came into the person that I am now. I was not a very social child because I mean, we were moving every other year, right? You know, I, 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 I wasn't good at meeting people as a kid. I was a monstrous child in terms of just my height. I mean, zero hyperbole. My parents can vouch for this. I was six feet by the time I hit 11 years old. Is that right? I was monstrous. And it doesn't lend itself to having a lot of positive interactions with people who don't know you. So I wasn't very social as a child growing up, moving around a lot. So, I mean, you talk about escapism. I, I was very much in that same boat. Yeah. Uh, I, from the moment that I saw Mario first running across my own television set in my own house, that was kind of my go-to when I needed anything, when I needed to, you know, be happy, when I needed to escape, uh, when I needed any kind of positive reinforcement despite the fact that I was constantly dying in these games, I, that, <laughs> I mean, that really was it for me. I enjoyed it. I really loved it. And when I got the Super Nintendo and Mario World, it just, it just continued on. And I eventually persuaded my family to get me a subscription to Nintendo Power, the magazine, because I just, I loved everything about Nintendo and what they were doing. And I just became so enraptured in in all of these different games. I played Mario, of course, all the time, but that led me to playing other games and discovering other genres and expanding my mind to to a bunch of other different things. But Mario was always very much at the heart of that. Yeah, I remember, you know, you mentioned Super Mario World. I, I have a pretty fond Super Mario World memory too, where, you know, growing up, so just for a little bit of context, my a uh, younger sister and I, uh, our birthdays are very, very close together. And so growing up, we very much, it was kind of the, her name's Eden, the, the Seth and Eden show. Like it was always our birthdays growing up were always together. You know, my, my mother didn't have a lot of money, uh, you know, single mom for a long time. And so our birthdays were always together. We shared the same room. We had a bunk bed. It was very much her and I as kids, you know? And so when we got, video games we they were for both of us we shared them and so that was a real bonding experience 
for us was our shared video games. When I got my N64, it was also her N64. When <laughs> I got my Super Nintendo, it was also her Super Nintendo. And, and you know, that, that story kind of trended until she met my stepfather. And one of the first memories I have of that, bonding with her, is playing Super Mario World together and passing the controller back and forth. Uh, and it was always a situation of like, you know, you, you can play until, until I die or whatever. And I was better at it than she was. So like, inevitably I would last longer and that's not fair. You should let me have two tries before you get to go and like stuff like that. So, (laughs) and then similar thing with Mario 64, we played like a ton of that and a bunch of obscure other random N64 games I could bring up. But Mario definitely in our childhood, and, and we still talk about it sometimes to this day, my, my sister and I definitely, definitely bonded over those early Mario games. So I get just another example for me of, of how he's been an ever present figure in my life. Yeah. I, I mentioned uh, a while ago, several episodes back, maybe episode three or four, but when the Nintendo 64 was coming out, talking about the, the VHS, the promo VHS tapes that, yeah, I would get in the mail from Nintendo Power. Man, just getting one of those. I, I I legitimately don't know if I was more unfiltered happy than seeing one of those. <laughs> and it, I, I never actually got to own a Nintendo 64 or even a GameCube when I was younger. I never got to own one until much, much later on because... I had spent so much time with video games that by that point that <laughs> frankly, my parents kind of blamed them for all of my, my failings at that point in my life. So I did progress over to the PlayStation. I, I needed to get final fantasy seven, but you know, Nintendo was, was still very much there in the forefront of my mind. If somebody had a Nintendo 64, I would go over and I would play the golden eye. I would go over and I would play Mario Kart. And even though I didn't own a Nintendo system for for a while, I was always still wondering what was going on. I was always still excited to see what they had going on. And then when I became an actual like adult, I had another moment because I got to a point in my life where things weren't really the best. And I basically had to start over like from nothing from the ground up and for a long time i had almost nothing i was making enough money to feed myself put gas in my car and little else however i i very much had a goal i very much had a goal post that i was working toward because the nintendo wii was out they were impossible to find but the nintendo wii was out And just a couple months later, the new Super Mario Galaxy would be releasing. Mm. And Mm -hmm. I I looked on the internet. I I looked at the trailers. I looked at all the the images and everything. And everything I saw about the game looked absolutely amazing. And in a time in my life when I had nothing, really, I really had nothing. That was kind of my... I mean, for for that time in my life, that was kind of my my light at the end of the tunnel. So right. when I finally was able to get 
a Nintendo Wii. I knew absolutely. I knew I had to get Super Mario Galaxy. And I got the Wii. I got Mario Galaxy. And for a while, those were the only two things in this world that I had outside of the clothes on my back and the vehicle that took me to and from work. And it's very possible that that played into that that played strongly into why Mario Galaxy is my favorite game of all time. But uh, just just playing the game, just experiencing the game, just going through the different galaxies and listening to that amazing soundtrack and everything Ugh. about it. I I just uh, like I was I was an adult by that time, but I was a kid again when I was playing that game. And after a lot of the stuff that I had dealt with in my life, that playing Mario Galaxy, in addition to being my favorite game of all time, really, I think, proved to me the kind of adult I was going to be, mm. if that makes sense. Totally. And I, I mean, people say what they want to say. I mean, I'm actually very proud of the man I turned out to be. And... I'm a guy that watches cartoons, reads comic books, plays, you know, quote unquote, kids video games, but they make me happy from an early age. Mario, the Super Mario franchise created in me a happy place. And like, there really is nothing that is able to take me to a happy place as quickly as playing a Mario game, largely because of that. It's like I get to yeah. not be an adult for a minute. It's like I get to not have a worry in the world for just a minute. I get I just get to go into this world and it's I mean it sounds I it sounds trite and it sounds, you know, stupid even, but the games, especially the later Mario games are just magical and they've just meant so much to me personally i mean that's why we do this nintendo podcast is just because of how unabashed our love for the series and the company and the art form as a whole in general magical is definitely the right word for it i mean you know mario is magical and mario is that sort of safe harbor for us and i'm sure many others as as we've been talking about for the past several minutes i mean mario has provided that safety net, that comfort, that that childhood sort of wonderment that exists within Mario and the Mushroom Kingdom. That's that's always been there. That's always going to be there for us. And furthermore, the last thing I'll sort of say um, in terms of my my sort of you know Mario memories, and there are many, but I'll mention one last thing because you know we've said a couple of times now that this show and that we as people would not exist or whatever in the way that we do. Without Mario, I mean that in an even more literal sense, because Mario played a huge factor into you and I becoming friends and becoming close. Because, you know, when you first kind of moved down and and you were stationed in Fort Polk, kind of close to where I live, and, you know, I, I was working at the GameStop at the time, you know, we've sort of alluded to that a little bit in the past, and... You know, you would come into the store and we would have kind of a friendly banter, but we weren't really close, close until we started to hang out outside of like my working hours. We would start to hang out and stuff. And that was, I think, if 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 I had to pinpoint the one thing that we bonded over the most, it was our love of Nintendo. It was talking about Mario and Mario Galaxy in particular. 
was a huge bonding connective tissue that I think was instrumental in our becoming close friends. You and I sat there. I remember we we had gone to hang out in a nearby city for the day, probably, you know, saw a movie, got, you know, got dinner and you know, bought some comic books and spent way too much money at Hastings or something like that. And uh, as we were, as we were often want to do, <laughs> but I just remember coming back into the parking lot of GameStop late that night at like midnight. And we sat in the parking lot of GameStop for another like two hours, just talking about Mario and Nintendo. And I, I felt, I remember walking away from that and, and feeling like, um, feeling like I had really met you for the first time, feeling like even though we had known each other for a little while at that point, I felt like in that moment I had found a kindred spirit. And talking about Mario sort of unlocked that level of our friendship in that weird way. And so, you know, when when this Nintendo podcast was sort of gestating, you know, that's that's sort of the thing that has persisted, I think, in our relationship. We've known each other for over a decade now. Jeez. Yeah, right? I think that's the thing that sort of persisted throughout it all is is Mario. And, and I think Mario was definitely instrumental in sort of making that happen. So in a very real way, <laughs> I don't think this podcast would be here without Mario. I'd certainly there's there's a lot of things in my life that wouldn't be here without Mario. But you and I can definitely say that we would have turned out extraordinarily differently had it not been for the Italian plumber. Yeah. Thanks, Mario. Indeed. Uh, but, <laughs> but what do you guys think? Has the Super Mario Brothers franchise meant a lot to you? If it has, definitely let us know about your own experiences and your own stories. Uh, reach out to us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, and tell us. We'd love to hear about it. We've loved playing Mario games so much over the years that that has extended to Mario-like games. And I've mm-hmm. I've always been a huge fan of of B grade platformers as well. And there was one specifically that came out a couple of years ago that was very much a love letter to the early days of 3D platforming, very heavily inspired by Mario 64 and games of that ilk. So we thought it would be a perfect time to showcase Gears for Breakfast, a hat in time. Hey, Seth. Yes? You remember how in Super Mario 64, that iconic 3D platformer that literally changed the entire industry, how Mario would get new powers through the use of different hats? Yeah, that's very true. That's exactly what he did, and I remember it very well. Yeah, well, you know who else remembers that? The wonderful people over at Gears 4 Breakfast, who made a hat in time. Mmm. So, obviously, we're talking about a hat in time today in the Indie Showcase, and in... Another wonderful, wonderful Kickstarter success story made, what, like double its goal in two days? Something like that? Yeah, something like that. It made a ton of money on Kickstarter. It had a, you know, had a pretty massive campaign, honestly. One of the things that I actually found really interesting about this game, and, and I actually didn't realize this until I was doing a little bit of research about it, the game was actually never meant to come to Switch. Yeah, that's that's super interesting to me. The fact that they made it work on Switch, despite the fact that it was never meant to come to it. I mean, they had like this sort of stuff going on with like the there was like a a Wii U port that they were talking about doing during the Kickstarter campaign, but they weren't kind of sure of it because the Wii U had kind of 
fizzled out by that point. But then like, yeah, when it came to the switch, they originally said they weren't going to do it, but they made it work. And here we are talking about it now available on the eShop. It's kind of crazy. I am very happy they were able to make it work because I really, really, really like this game. The game very obviously is a love letter to the old school original days of 3D platforming. The game is very heavily influenced by, you know, a lot of the 3D Mario games. And we'll get into that more here soon. But there are also touches of, of other titles as well. There is a little Zelda in there with a specific grappling ability. There is, you know, a few other, quite a few little nods to, to other platforming games, but the game very much does stand on its own ultimately. And I cannot wait to get into it more. Yeah, it definitely has its own identity. And that's, that's actually one of my favorite things about it. Um, But yeah, let's, let's kind of, break down what a hat in time is it is obviously as you just said is a 3d collectathon platformer very much in the vein of those classic uh you know games of yore like like mario 64 and mario sunshine and that's actually why we decided to talk about it here in this episode we were sort of like we still want to do an indie showcase but it's the mario episode so what makes sense and it's like oh a hat in time is is the clear choice here because it is so inspired by mario it so. is. And I, I really, really love like these old B-grade platformers. They don't really make them anymore. Uh, for about 15 years there, there were so many studios making mascot platformers, both 2D and yeah. 3D mascot platformers. And especially going into the PlayStation 2 and Xbox and GameCube era, there were still a lot of them coming out. A lot more than I think people remember. But these days... There's not really too many. You've got Mario, you've got Nintendo kind of doing their thing. But in terms of B-grade platformers, 3D platformers, I mean, we have Ukulele, the first Ukulele. We have Super Lucky's Tale, and we have kind of this. I mean, a lot of those yeah. old PS2, GameCube, Xbox games are starting to get remasters. Games like Tide the Tasmanian Tiger are coming back. Games like Legend of K are coming back. Games like Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy have come back. But in terms of new games, there's not too, too many which is why, you know, I was super, super excited for Hat in Time to come to the Nintendo Switch. Uh, Very welcome and very much at home on a Nintendo platform, a company that essentially made their name on mascot platformers. So all for that. Oh yeah, 100%. And the sort of structure of the game, if we want to like set up the plot, because actually, and we'll get into this a little bit, one of the things that I think sets this game apart from other games like it is its story. It's bonkers. Well, it's bonkers, but A Hat in Time actually, it's got a little bit of a plot to it. Like, it's got actually a little bit of a... There's some actually, I think, kind of effective narrative beats in there that work better than you would expect, I think, for a game like this. Well, outside of the main character, there is even a little bit of character development. So... A lot, yeah. And, And, you know... But the the base structure of it, essentially, is that Hat Kid is, you know, piloting a spaceship going home. It's a very sort of, uh, you know, threadbare kind of plot device. And essentially, her spaceship is powered by these timepieces, these little hourglass there of effectively the Mario stars or the shines or the power moons or whatever. The MacGuffins. The MacGuffins. And through a series of events, uh, those power moons are scattered all throughout 
space and time, essentially. Those time pieces? Yes. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're scattered everywhere throughout various, you know, worlds, as it were. And, uh, and it's up to Hat Kid to collect them and repower her ship and go back home. And that's, that's essentially the base plot of it. But yeah, you know, throughout the, the various worlds of the game, they, they kind of do some interesting things. That's one of my favorite things about the game is how each world kind of has its own little spin. Yeah, this, the different chapters and the different acts in the game are very unique from one another. And it was very, very interesting to see how they were going to tackle each of the different parts of the game. You have one, which has two kind of parallel stories going on at the same time, and you can actually pick which of the two people you are going to assist. You've got yes, one, which is kind of just an open world, do what you want. And then there is one where within the hub area, you actually have to find access to the missions, to the actual levels of the game. It's, right. you're, you're constantly, well, with each chapter, you're, you're always doing something a little bit different than the other chapters. It's not the same loop. And being able to keep things fresh within that game, I thought was a really, really big strength of it. Even within the MacGuffins themselves, the timepieces, a lot of people have kind of lamented a few Mario games because obviously when you're talking about Mario 64, Mario Sunshine, Mario Galaxy, you've got over a hundred of these that you're trying to collect. And then of course with Mario Odyssey, they go completely off the scale with the number of ones you're trying to collect. <laughs> However, it can be said that a lot of them don't really feel very impactful to get. There's so many of them. It feels, especially in Mario Odyssey, you just ground pound in the right spot. You'll get a power moon, but oh, they're everywhere. Yeah, they're everywhere. But in hat and time, they do feel very important because each timepiece is straight up tied to a full on challenge. You have to get to the end of an entire challenge just to get one of them. And I think that does very much right. help the the allure, the the mystique of the MacGuffins is they're just not throwing them out constantly to you. The fact that there's only 40 in the game may seem like a small number compared to something like a Mario game or a hundred jiggies, but you do have to go through quite a bit to get each individual one. And I do really think that that was also very well handled. Yeah, totally. And they, you know, and they do, there's a lot of like different spins on even that, right? Because they've got in a clear, overt reference to Super Mario Sunshine. They've got yeah. like the time rift bonus levels, which are awesome. Those are like some of my favorite things in the entire game. Yeah. And like so overtly ripping off of Mario Sunshine that even specific geometrical shapes. <laughs> uh, like honestly if you play through mario sunshine you'll kind of know what we're talking about but even specific geometrical shapes that are used for those areas in mario sunshine like it, it honestly looks like they just somehow lifted the assets right out of mario sunshine and dropped them into a head in time like it could not be more of an overt reference well yeah and even hat kids movement you know and that's that's another thing is it you know Another strength, I think, of the game is the way that Hat Kid feels to play. I think her movement feels great, but even that feels so similar with things like that sort of like dash and slide and that sort of dive move that she's got feels so similar to Mario Sunshine. Oh, yeah. That little dash and roll. 
Yeah. From Mars. I mean, yeah, it's 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 absolutely taken off that. Obviously, the Mario 64 reference I was talking about with the different hats with the different powers. Yeah. Uh, you've got the Mario Sunshine stuff, which we've talked about. I mean, there's even quite a bit of Mario Galaxy in there. The way you access the different worlds is yep. through is through telescopes and an observatory yep. type, you know, mechanic. Lifted almost directly out of Mario Galaxy. It's actually, you know, when you stop to think about it, and you start to consider the sum of its influences. It is kind of the perfect indie game to play to celebrate Mario. <laughs> I mean, it really is. And I mean, it it does, again, differentiate itself. Uh, whereas in Mario 64, you do have to find the special powers and those caps, those powers are only tailored to the level you're in and you can't take them right. with you. Whereas in yes. a hat in time, they're constantly equipable hats. You always have access to all of your powers on a wheel that you can choose your hats from at the drop of a hat. Hmm. <laughs> no more pun ban. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting too, because you do have to sort of like craft the hats. And one of the collectibles are like balls of yarn that you can use to then craft the hats in question. So I liked that. Yeah. The, the yarn is another one of the collectibles. Tokens are another collectible relics from this weird alien planet are yet another collectible. Yes. So it's, it's not just the MacGuffins. It's not just the timepieces. There are quite a few things to collect in this game. So we'll keep you busy for quite a while. And you will need most of the yarn in the game in order to craft the final hat in order to craft all the hat and get access to all of the different abilities. So do right. be on the lookout for those, just like you will need to get all the tokens. Now what the tokens do is in addition to the hats and being able to equip different hats and get new powers, you can also unlock different versions of those hats. Some uh, like there's a, a hat that gives you a ground pound essentially. Mm -hmm. And the initial version of the hat is just like a little beanie. However, you can unlock like a Yeti Wolfskin version of that. You can unlock a Santa <laughs> hat version of that. So there are different versions of each hat that you can also unlock. And in addition to that, even you can use the tokens to get different color schemes for your entire wardrobe. Not quite like Mario Odyssey, but it does kind of give the same sense. Yeah, I could definitely see that. It definitely has that sort of vibe to it. And being able to unlock like the, the soundtrack stuff that way too is really nice. The game does yeah. have a really, I think, strong soundtrack. It really, um, really does. I was pretty pretty blown away by a few of the tracks. There's uh, one in, there's a movie studio basement that you get to go yeah. into. The track there I thought was just absolutely incredible. And... Uh, just overall with you, obviously you're much more of a music guy than I am, but just for my layman brain. Yeah. Music. Good. <laughs> the composer is uh, Pascal Michael Stifel and you're uh, part of the gears for breakfast team. And I just, yeah, I really liked what, what they did here. Cause one of the things that I liked a lot about it too was they weren't afraid to add that sort of spacey alien tinge to it. Like yeah. 
whenever whenever you collect a timepiece and it does that kind of like you know that sort of <laughs> sound in the background of it it, it sounds kind of like 50s sci-fi a little bit in that moment so there's some effective stuff and then you know effective sound effect work too effective voice acting work in the game the game is basically fully voiced so that's that's pretty impressive in itself it is hat girl's not necessarily a silent protagonist she does have a couple little sounds that she makes. She has efforts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So it's it's really interesting. She says boop a couple times. That is, I think, <laughs> uh, the uh, the biggest part of her vocabulary is boop. It is a very cutesy game for the most part, if you can't tell. Uh, very bright, very colorful, very much like if you've ever played a bright, colorful 3D platformer like Banjo-Kazooie, like Super Mario 64, uh, like especially like Super Lucky's Tale, uh, that very much feels aesthetically the same. Now, aesthetically, it may look incredibly kid friendly, but I, I do mm. feel like I need to mention something. Yeah. Okay. Tonally, the game, <laughs> um, it goes places you don't really think it would. Yeah. There's there's definitely some darkness in there. Yeah, so there is a part of the game that is incredibly creepy and one act inside of one chapter that is just straight up legitimately terrifying. And Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, And, and in addition to that, there's a lot of flavor text in the game for things that you can examine. And some of those get really like a little bit too real. <laughs> And some of them, you know, they have fun with some of them. Like you can tell, like some of it was just sort of cheeky, you know, but, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Maybe one of the best examples in the game is one of the first things in the game that you can examine is a wardrobe next to the bed you wake up in at the beginning of the game and straight, straight up. If you examine the wardrobe, it says something to the effect that, you know, you know, it doesn't really matter. You only wear one outfit anyway, but there's plenty of room in here for skeletons. <laughs> right. It's like, wow, I was not <laughs> expecting that game to go there that quickly. Well, and and yeah, and there's sort of like, you know, and I'm, I don't want to get into spoilers because, again, I do think that the narrative of the game is a really effective component of it. So I don't want to spoil anything about the narrative, but there is like some darkness to the game's ending at least until you know it is a happy ending ultimately but there is like a bit of a darkness and the game even gives you a choice at the end that can potentially be a bit dark so yeah (laughs) i will say the the motivation of the big bad ah mustache girl (laughs) yes so uh you have hat girl and um and uh yeah you you You've got mustache girl. Yep. Not kidding. Mustache girl. Not kidding, by the way. Mustache girl. A little mustachioed blonde. And <laughs> like my first thought, I, I went into this game, thankfully, kind of blind. So yeah. I, <laughs> I saw this young girl and I was like, you know, it's so funny. It almost looks like she has a mustache. And then a minute later, he's like, yes, I mustache girl. And I'm like, oh, it doesn't look like it. Wow, it is. Okay, that's a thing that's happening. 
Yeah, but you're but you're right. Her her motivation has got you know, it's one of those things that it, it, she's the sort of villain that you can sort of see her point of view. Not that it's, you know, not that it's deeply complex or anything like that. It's it's very simple. The story doesn't really get in the way of anything. But um but you could sort of see what she's driving at. Like she's not oh, ab- not crazy, you know. No, I mean ab- absolutely. In terms of villain motivations, you can absolutely see where she's coming from. And right. I mean, in many situations, in many games, she would be the hero. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely. But uh, there was something about the gameplay we hadn't really talked about yet. And in addition to the hats that give you different powers, there are even different augments beyond that. Oh, right. Yes. The badges. Yes, you can get badges to augment your abilities. And some of them are passive abilities, like the ability to draw in uh, like currency and hearts. There are active abilities. I mentioned kind of a Zelda nod earlier. Like there's a straight up hookshot in this game. They even call it a hookshot. Yeah, it's just legit a hookshot. So that's a power that you get from a badge. And then... <laughs> and it it almost feels like a Mario Odyssey nod. It really does. You can also get a scooter as a badge power. <laughs> the game I think came out before Mario Odyssey, but but yes, I can. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it almost feels a little too coincidental. It kind of does. It really kind of does. It's just one of those funny, you know, faded things. Yeah. You know, it's funny, too, because the, the character that sells you the badges, the badge seller, is a creepy character, too. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm talking about when it comes to, like, tonally, the game is all over the place. It's, he's just so weird. He's like a living glitch. But he, you just walk up to him and it's like, oh, you're so creepy. Get away from me. Has this, like, mask that's sort of, like, moving around and phasing in and out. And, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny that that you say that too. The badges, you know, there there are some helpful badges like that do the typical kind of thing, like um, you know, increase the pickup radius or whatever. Um, but then there are some that are just like aesthetic changes, like the scooter that you mentioned, and then there are some that are actually sort of there to provide additional challenge as well. So oh 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 that <laughs> one oh oh that one. <laughs> so yeah it does sort of provide a lot of different uh gameplay options which we're always a big fan of most of the gameplay in the game does have to do with traversal i mean it is very much a 3d yeah. platformer now yep. there is still combat in the game and i've got to say the normal combat scenarios in the game are one of its weaker points because honestly the the normal combat scenarios you have an umbrella as your main method of attack and all yep. you really do with it is you waggle it like almost like it's a Wii remote it's pretty button mashy in that way yeah there's not a whole whole lot of strategy there there's some very light strategy but now the normal combat scenarios may not be anything to write home about but i personally thought the boss fights were really really good the boss fights are great yeah yeah the boss fights are easily one of the strongest suits of Hat in Time because when you're doing something like Mario or, or Banjo-Kazooie, you've got a relatively simple pattern from a boss. You look at it, you get the opening, you smack him in the face, rinse, repeat two times for a third hit, and then bam, you're done. 
But no, in this game, they're pretty intense affairs. Like even the first boss fight is a pretty intense affair in Hatton Time. And it was a very, very nice breath of fresh air. Yeah. And almost like that first fight against the mafia boss <laughs> almost feels a little bit like Mega Man-esque. Like in I a weird see that. way. I could see yeah. that. But there are a few of them in the game, uh, but they are really, really, really good. So hats off to you, bosses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the game does, in, in the ways that that matter a lot, the game does sort of fire on all cylinders. Now, one thing that I do want to mention, if I if I were to have a, a major complaint with the game, you know, we've talked about the combats kind of so-so, but... The Nintendo Switch port of this game has some performance issues. Um, it runs okay, I think. Uh, it, it looks good. It, it runs, like, fine. Uh, the load times, I think, are really, really long. They are. Um, That's fair. And, and, and I think the frame rate is not quite... It, it, it just it feels smoother on other platforms. I did when I originally played this game. I played it on another platform than the Nintendo Switch, and and it was a little jarring when I played the Switch version. Just how, uh, how how much less of a frame rate performance the Switch version has, and it is to be expected. You don't you know the Switch being a less powerful console, you don't expect it to have parity with some of the other consoles or even PC. But but I was a little bit, especially after playing something like Ukulele, which was such a great port that you know really took advantage of the Switch hardware and made it feel relatively you know, rel- you know had relative parity to the other consoles. Uh, Hat and Time Switch port, I-, I I can say from a technical perspective, definitely is not up to the same standard as the competitive consoles. Uh, but I think it's still totally playable on Switch. I think you can get it on Switch and have a great time. But that was just something that I noticed and, and felt like I needed to stop and mention. That is fair. I mean, for, for a lot of people, I don't know if it would ultimately be a game breaker for them. However, it's not. No. Yeah. But uh, I mean, but those are the facts. It's not going to run as fast. Yes, the load times did get a little annoying sometimes. But again, ultimately, not game breaking. My biggest no. complaint, I think, with the game was I personally felt like, and going back to the combat very briefly, in addition to waggling your umbrella in enemies' faces, you're also able to do an aerial attack. Oh, sure. Uh, almost like a Sonic the Hedgehog homing aerial attack. Basically, yeah. You kind of jump in the air and you do like a dive bomb. Yeah. Now, there are a couple parts in the game where it's required to do this as part of traversal. My biggest problem with Ahead in Time was this mechanic seemed kind of inconsistent to me. Definitely. Yeah, so, definitely. I mean, nothing that didn't cause me more than kind of a momentary annoyance. I might have fallen down uh, a chasm, been respawned right there, and was able to get it the next time. But... And right. it, it was a little annoying because it was also required for a couple boss fights. And I was just mashing yes. the attack button, just like, why are you not doing the thing? Yeah. And there's, and there, and there is like some, some, you know, the, the kind of stuff that you expect with 3D platformers where like in tight spaces, the camera can be a little finicky yeah. and stuff like that, you know, but yeah, that's again, that, that does sort of come with the territory. Unfortunately, it's not, 
it's not game breaking whatsoever. It's just minor annoyances. You know, I I did have problems with the camera too, but just like you were saying, it's it's so ubiquitous, especially with 3D platformers. Uh, something like you know Mario may not have too many issues with it anymore, but uh, I mean, I honestly can't think of a single B grade platformer that doesn't have minor camera issues. Oh yeah, even like I mean, you know, even as polished as Mario is, every now and then you'll get that odd camera. It's just the nature of the beast, I think, with this genre. So you you sort of come into it expecting it. Some you know some games do it worse or better than others, but but yeah, that that is definitely just you know keep in mind that is something that is sort of present here and may uh, may give you a little bit of an annoying camera issue from time to time, but nothing game breaking, I don't think at all. Oh no, not at all. Now. <laughs> One thing I also did want to mention, though, is just like so many B-grade platformers, Hat in Time does it too. And this might just be me. I don't know. But why have a double jump? Oh, sure. In Hat in Time, you have a double jump. That's something you have from the beginning of the game. Now, if you wanted to add it in as a late game ability in something like Metroid, okay. However. It begs the question, if you're going to have a double jump at the beginning, why not just make the regular jump higher? And right, I, I think a lot of people would say to that, oh, well, you know, if you have a double jump, it gives you more maneuverability if you make a mistake. And I would counter that with just saying, if you were going to do that, just make the character more maneuverable in the air during that jump. Yeah, I think there's a fine balance, right? I think that, you know, if we were to sit down with somebody you know, that, that designed a game like this, um, they would probably tell you something to that effect. And it, and it probably does have something to do with that. And I, I think that your, your counterpoint is valid. Um, there's a fine balance with that though, right? Where if you make a character quote unquote, more maneuverable in a higher jump, then you run the risk of the character starting to feel floaty, right? Where it sort of feels like you're jumping super high and you can move quite a bit while you're in that high jump. You sort of feel like you're in like space or something, but so, so I think you do run the risk of that. I think, honestly, I, I think it might have just been for the feel of it. I think it just kind of feels good to double jump. Like, I think it, I think that might have a lot to do with it. It just sort of feels good. It, uh, you know, the, the animation is just sort of nice. And, and I, I think that it's probably just kind of fun to double jump. And yeah, you like, you have those abilities available to you and, I, I don't have to dive and, you know, jump out of my dive. And it's just like Mario Odyssey, right? I don't have to throw my hat and do these like crazy maneuvers all over the place, but it sure is fun. <laughs> <laughs> so I just find it weird. Like, uh, like Mario games don't have a double jump. I, right. I can't think of a single Mario game that allows you to do an actual double jump in midair. Yes. You've got stuff like the Tanuki suit, which can allow you to, you know, glide You've got the super cape, which can allow you to effectively fly once you're good enough. But in terms of like an actual double jump mechanic, I don't think Mario's ever no. had that. However, so many other games do. And it's it's just one of those things I think is not necessarily bad. It is interesting and weird. Just an observation. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. like so many games take so many different cues from Mario that I think that Everybody jumping on the double jump bandwagon except Mario is just right. a really interesting observation. 
That that's something that you know Nintendo. One of the core tenets of of Nintendo game design, right? And, and I'm not going to stay on this train for two. I don't want to get into a whole tangent about it. But one of the one of the core tenets of Nintendo game design is if there is a mechanic in the game, it had better have multiple uses. There is no like you know to to quote uh, Alton Brown. There are no unitaskers in mm-hmm. Nintendo games, right? So. If they if Mario does ever have a a double jump, then you'd better believe Nintendo is going to do it for a reason, right? So, I, I think that's sort of ultimately plays into what you're talking about, where it's like some of these games have double jumps, and it seems like they they don't necessarily need them. Basically, yeah. So I, I get I get what you're saying. Yeah, I think there are other ways to get around that. It's like somebody did it. And then everybody else was like, oh, that's amazing. We're going to do that. And Nintendo and Donkey Kong. And I mean, the closest Nintendo character is really Yoshi with his flutter jump. But even even that, not really. But I don't know. I'm done with my double jump tangent. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like you said, not necessarily a complaint, just an observation. Yeah, I think I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's totally fair. I could definitely see what you're driving at there. But um, but yeah, I think, you know. I think it feels good. I, I really like the traversal mechanics. I, I you know, th- all the uh, all the credit that it owes to to Super Mario Sunshine, I, I think is is well deserved. I, I think they, I think they take inspiration very well in in just about every respect here. Yeah, the the time rift. Just to go back to that for a second, those are really really yeah. interesting. And there's a kind of a water aesthetic to them that I think really mm-hmm. brings the whole concept together. As opposed to just being like a challenge stage, there's something about the aesthetic, something about the way they're designed that I think really brings the idea together. As opposed to just feeling too video gamey, it feels right. like its own separate thing. If that makes right. sense. Yeah, no, I I really like this game a lot, um, and it and it totally, you know, just to go back to what we were talking about earlier, it totally feels like. If there were any one indie game that I could say feels the closest to something that like you can just definitely tell that the folks at Gears for Breakfast like totally took their love for Mario and baked it into this game, um, it's this. And 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 that's absolutely why I thought this was the perfect indie game to talk about for the indie showcase in the Mario episode. And not to say that this is you know, just ripping off of Mario, not to say that, no, you know, it is just an unabashed clone because the way it puts things together, it does ultimately still have its own identity. Like we mentioned at the top of the segment, but totally very much so like shovel Knight, which right. Obviously wears its influences far down its sleeve. The, the same is very, very true for hat in time. Yes. It's definitely its own thing and it's fantastic. But it's, I mean, it doesn't make any qualms about, you know, where it's taken its inspiration from. I mean, they even, they even joke at one time in during the, the subcon forest chapter. It was like, oh, you're a plumber now. <laughs> right. Well, and I think they even explicitly, if I remember correctly, uh, I think they even explicitly like cite. The, the Mario influence in, in their Kickstarter videos. So, I mean, this game knows what it is, right? So, and, and it does, it, it scratches that itch, I think very well. 
Yeah, and if you're a fan of B-grade platformers at all, or if you're a fan of 3D platformers at all, and if you haven't checked out Hat in Time, you absolutely need to. It's $30 on the eShop, and something we should mention, there are two packs of DLC for the game as well that do add quite a bit of content. I believe they're $5 packs, but they do add quite a bit of extra time to the game. So both of those are definitely worth it, especially if you're looking for a real challenge. The Seal the Deal campaign, the Seal the Deal DLC, uh, will definitely give you that hardcore challenge you're looking for. So A Hat in Time, published by Humble Bundle, developed by Gears for Breakfast. Uh, It's probably... Uh, I mean, granted, yeah, there's not much to choose from, but it's it's probably the best B-grade platformer that I've played probably in the past couple generations. Yeah, it's up there. It's definitely up there for me. So, highly recommended, of course. Of course. And if you guys check out Hat in Time, definitely let us know what you think. Or if you've played it already, definitely let us know what you think. As always, you can reach out to us on Facebook at All In. Reach out to us on Twitter at All In Podcast. And if you're loving what you're hearing, make sure to like and subscribe to All In on your favorite podcasting service. Obviously, a Hat in Time, very, very impressive game with a very impressive main character. But to be fair, the Italian plumber does edge her out in that category just a little bit when it comes to Hmm. overall impressivity. As a matter of fact, we have thought long and hard about it, and Mario has had some really impressive moments throughout his storied career. So many, in fact, that we thought we would count them down for you in our big Mario 35th anniversary top five. Now, Seth and I are obviously huge fans of the entire Mario mythos. However, when Mm -hmm. we started talking about doing this list, it turned out that Seth and I kind of took different routes with our list. So we are both individually going to be counting down the top five most impressive Mario moments. However, we kind of both independently wound up taking different angles with this list. So we're both counting down Mario's top five most impressive moments. From a certain point of view. From a certain point of view, (laughs) exactly. And you'll see what we mean (laughs) here in just a second. So to kick off the list with my number five most impressive Mario moment, I've got to go with the fact that Mario is an accomplished golfer, an accomplished soccer player, an accomplished baseball player, an accomplished (laughs) kart racer, and he was also able to harness the power of the Starman, the full invincibility power of the Starman. And oh yes, by the way, I'm not talking about full mature Mario. He was able to do all of this as a newborn. (laughs) My number five is my God, as a baby, Mario could do all the things already. That's one impressive baby. (laughs) Baby Mario is playable in Mario Golf, in Mario Sluggers, in Mario Kart. Obviously took center stage in Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island, where he could, of course, get the Star Man and become super baby Mario, helping to save the world before nap time. As a newborn, he could drive a golf ball hundreds of yards. Like, he's basically a superhero. Actually, like, winning tournaments and, like, (laughs) earning, like, cups and things like that. Imagine playing a baseball game and literally losing to a (laughs) one-year-old. 
Mario was already that good at that age. For my number five, I obviously had to highlight Mario's amazing feats he was able to accomplish even as a baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had such a crazy career. I did hear at one point he ended up leaving and then like joining the uh, White Sox, and but he was at the <laughs> he was at the top of his game for a while. That that's a Michael Jordan <laughs> joke for our younger listeners, right there. <laughs> that's a that's a real '90s zinger for you, right there. That's a deep cut. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I did. Uh, I did take a, a slightly different tact to my sort of, you know, the the definition of being, you know, being impressed with Mario's history and and the the various impressive moments throughout his thirty five year history in video games uh, is a slightly subjective thing, right? So I thought that was what was kind of interesting about our top five this week was that we took two totally different approaches to this idea, and with my number five. The first really impressive thing that that really impressed me as an impressionable young person was when you get to that famous moment in the original Super Mario Brothers, your princess is in another castle (laughs) and realizing that there is more game there and that you are not done. (laughs) You are not done, sir. Far from it. That was that was so mind blowing at the time. Like it, it was the sort of thing. Like especially being used to. Like when I grew up, I very much grew up in a house of hand me downs. I I grew up off of my uncle's like old video game stuff. He had like an Atari twenty six hundred that I would like fool around with, not knowing what it was. But you know, video games were very much level to level arcadey experiences, and you're very much used to you know, games either not ending at all, or if a game did end, it was very cut and dry. It was a very short, confined experience. And when you struggle, you know, going through that first world in Super Mario Brothers, only to find that, oh, hey, there is much, much more game here. I mean, that's a mind-blowing moment. Your princess is in another castle has kind of become a joke now, an industry joke. But yes, at the time when people were first seeing that, I mean, because you're you're absolutely right, Seth, because of the technical limitations of a lot of video games back in those days, it was very conceivable for a game like that to be ending at that point. Super Mario Brothers totally. was the first game of its kind. It was the first game ever to be a side scroller, to be able to process enough memory that the screen just didn't stop. So it very conceivably could have been just you know a few stages it could have been a confined experience like that but no you get to the end and you realize no as impressive as this game is it's a lot bigger than we thought it was yes yeah being able to go through that first world and again you know when you're a kid especially the game's still actually pretty challenging today i mean we've played it you know over the course of three decades so many times now that we you know, that we're pretty familiar with it and pretty good at it at this point. But, you know, when you're a kid playing that game, man, it's not easy and it feels like a bit of a struggle. And when you get to that, you know, when you get to that moment there at the end of World 1 and you realize that there is seven more to go, it's like, cool. Yeah. this th- That was a mind-blowing moment. So to, to start off my list at number five, the sorry, Mario, your princess is another castle moment. <laughs> Well, with my number four, uh, Mario Feet, I guess. 
he could have used his feet to just surpass that entire world. Because for my number four, I am talking about Mario's jump height. And I've looked into this a lot in reference to this, because of course, Mario and jumping are basically synonymous with each other. You really can't think of the plumber without thinking of him throwing his arm up in the air and leaping high into the sky. And it turns out somebody from the PBS series Space Time on YouTube actually used physics and math to straight up calculate Mario's actual jump height on a normal Earth gravity. The face that I wish that that you and the listeners could see the face I just made because it was basically that gif of that guy doing the slow blink and shaking his head in disbelief. <laughs> it was like, Whoa, what now? <laughs> so yeah, I'll have to, we'll definitely have to post a link to this video tomorrow. Definitely check it out. But it is again from the PBS Space Time YouTube series. And wow. They looked at the averages of a lot of the Mario games, specifically going off Super Mario World for these calculations. But given how high Mario is able to jump relative to his height, given how fast he falls back down to the ground, they calculated that not only does the planet that Mario's on have about six or seven times Earth's normal gravity, but that on Earth, Mario would be able to leap. 90 feet into the air. So jump man. Indeed. Yeah. The Michael Jordan, uh, reference goes even deeper now. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine stacking three houses on top of one another and jumping up to the top of that. They also said his, his jump speed is 50 miles an hour. Wow. I I love like just like over the top over research stuff like that. That's great. I mean, it's amazing. So that's got to be my number four is Mario's pure jumping prowess. Mario somehow able to leap 90 feet into the air on average. I mean, if there's one thing that Mario's really good at, it is jumping. And as as impressive as that is. We've actually got something even more impressive than that when it comes to his foot strength later on. But I I absolutely could not get through a list of most impressive Mario feats without mentioning his legendary jumping ability and just how insane it is. For my number four, I'm kind of going a similar route, maybe the uh, the less scientific route. But, you know, where we're going, we don't need routes at all. because. <laughs> One of the things that made a, a huge impression on me was when I first played Super Mario Brothers 3 and Mario was able to take flight. I mean, how cool was that, man? With the Super Leaf, being able to actually take flight into the air. Watching the wizard, the movie The Wizard. Oh, yes. And just watching Mario take flight in that hour and a half long Mario 3 commercial. That's basically what it really basically what it was. But I just, I like, I love everything about it. Like, I, I love, you know, Super Mario Brothers 3 made such an impression on me in general. But but that one, just like the various costumes and abilities that Mario has in that game. And, and I'll just never forget, like, being, like, the realization that, holy crap, I can fly? Like, this is insane. Like, that, that adds just a completely different layer to that game, I feel like, than, than stuff that came before it. I mean, like, 
obviously it's stuff that kind of carried on throughout Mario's history, but but that very first time taking flight in Super Mario Brothers 3 with the raccoon suit, the super leaf, whatever you want to call it, that you know, when I think of things that were impressive to me, that's gotta be on my list. Yes, obviously Mario has taken flight so many times since Super Mario Brothers 3, but you certainly never forget your first. He's had the super cape, he's had the wing cap, he's had all manner of different abilities to fly, uh, and even including Yoshi's help with that in Mario World as well. True. But the Tanuki suit from Mario 3 was a power-up that really kind of changed video games. It really made a lot of developers really change what they thought about even basic game design, given that new ability. So... That in and of itself is impressive. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, I mean, like, and we we spoke about you know just a minute ago about like the how impressive it was to have the side scrolling, but now you've got to have the the vertical element of level design. I mean, many levels in Mario Three are almost like two or even three levels layered on top of each other. Yeah, because of the element of flight. Yeah. So, and of course, that would go on to inform the game design for Mario, f- basically to this day. Absolutely. So nice pick. I like that for my number three, most impressive Mario feat. I actually looked this up. Have you ever done a hammer throw Seth? <laughs> like actually just thrown a hammer in real life done like the Olympic style hammer throw. Shockingly. No, not a lot of people have, unless it's something you're really into, but I had to look this up. I had to know an Olympic hammer for an Olympic hammer throwing event for which people train and strengthen themselves their entire young lives for to hopefully win a gold medal in those amazing Olympic games. That hammer is 16 pounds. In Mario 64, <laughs> Mario hammer throws Bowser. <laughs> and it definitely has to be noted that since Mario 3, since Mario Brothers 3, in the main series of Mario games, Bowser has been shown to be far larger than Mario. Obviously in the spinoffs, their size is a little bit more comparable, but in the core main Mario games, Bowser is shown to be 10 to 20 times the size of Mario. He's not 16 pounds, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) No, far from it. And yet in Super Mario 64, Mario grabs his tail and straight up does a hammer throw on this massive kaiju of a boss. I can't even fathom that. I I haven't seen any calculations like the one I just spoke of about Mario's jump height. However, that's got to be, given Bowser's size, that's got to be 10, 15 tons, maybe. Legitimately. Well, it's funny when when you when you think about it, just in Mario 64 alone, like he's picking up the you know, various characters. He's kind of doing a lot of heavy lifting in that game. <laughs> yeah, everybody makes a lot of Mario's leg strength. However, it's kind of a beast. Yeah. I mean, he punches Goombas so hard they explode in that game. <laughs> and and in the boss encounters with Bowser, you are literally hammer throwing this ginormous beast of a boss. And somehow Mario makes it seem like it's just another day at the plumbing office. <laughs> so uh, go out, try a hammer throw, see how fun, see how easy it is. 
using something like five pounds and then try to do it with your house. Yo, by the way, can can we acknowledge too, like that it's by the tail? That's not easy to grip onto. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He doesn't have a handle on that thing. He's just grabbing and clutching this thing's tail and still managing to turn around and get enough force behind it to lift it. It honestly looks like if you get a full rotation going on that thing, it looks like you're tossing Bowser, you know, 50 feet in the air. Quick little anecdote before we move on. I, my sister growing up uh, for a little stint of time had a pet snake and there was a time when the pet snake actually constricted itself around one of the uh, the foundational like poles uh, on the underside of her bed, and we had to try to get that snake off of there. And the muscle strength that it had was so intense, and getting a good grip on like the scaly surface of it was so difficult. Like that to me, like thinking about it in that context, I'm like, man, it's like it just makes it even more impressive that Mario is able to get a grip on the muscular tail of this behemoth that is Bowser and then throw him as far as he does and as effortlessly as he does. Well, for my number three, I absolutely had to showcase Mario's insane arm strength as well. So number three, the ability to hammer throw Kaiju Bowser. For my number three, you know, again, impressive impressionable moments for me in Mario history also taking place in Super Mario 64. Ah, when you first turn on that game and you are greeted by the fully 3D polygonal face of Mario and you were able to, you know, and all of us did it. We all oh. sat there and played with that face for hours, pinching and grabbing his face for hours. That to me made such an impression before I ever even played the game properly. My number three is playing with Mario's polygonal face. (laughs) It was like, it was the kind of thing that, you know, I don't think that we ever, you know, I got an N64 for Christmas and, and obviously got that game with it. And I, it, it was just, I don't know that I fully wrapped my mind around what it meant until that moment. Until like actually being able to feel like I was physically grabbing a face. <laughs> as weird as it is. <laughs> and especially now when you look at it and it's like, you know, they clearly like the polygons are all overlapping. And it's actually kind of horrific when you think about it. <laughs> the things you're able to do. But but in terms of things that impressed me, I it's hard to think of something that that made, you know, that blew my mind more than that at that time. You know, when when I first saw that, I mean, let alone when you get into the game and you actually start moving around the 3D space, actually just grappling with the concept of 3D polygonal interactive graphics is just like that. That's something that like we take for granted, obviously, today as technology has has progressed. But I mean, like, you know, in terms of being impressed by Mario as a kid. I mean, I, I, I almost can't top it. Well, it's certainly become a very famous part of Mario's history, just being able to manipulate that pudgy little Italian plumber's disembodied head at the opening of Super Mario 64. So famous, in fact, they turned it into a Mario Party game. Yeah, absolutely. And we just, I mean, like you said, we just spent hours, man. Oh, hours. so much time. So much time. Like, it was... I probably... With the exception of scribble knots, I've probably never <laughs> spent more time on just the opening screen of a video game. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> With Scribblenauts, I mean, the opening screen of the video of, of that video game basically is the video game, but but for Mario, like for Mario 64, I mean, that that's, you know, I think kids everywhere sat at that title screen for way too long before finally starting up their starting up their save file. It's like, "Oh, there's a game after this." Yes. <laughs> oh, right. I can play the game now. <laughs> we would have been okay with that. Anyway, that's my number three. So for my number two, most impressive Mario moment, most impressive Mario feat, we are actually going back to his feat. I've already showcased hmm. Mario's insane jumping ability. However, his feet are able to do so much more, regardless of the fact that a kick from him can literally break reality by splitting a single soccer ball into multiple soccer balls, apparently, in Mario Strikers. <laughs> That's true. I really did go pretty deep with the research for this one. Uh, <laughs> this was something that I've, you know, when I was thinking about this list, I immediately thought of this. And it turns out there are a couple other really cool guys who remember this as well. Okay. Uh, if anybody has ever seen Death Battle <laughs> from Rooster Teeth oh, okay. and Screw Attack. So in Super Mario World, when you defeat a boss's castle, there's a couple little skits, a couple little fun things that Mario does. Sometimes he knocks it down with a hammer. Sometimes he drop kicks it. But with one of the castles, he straight up picks it up, lifts it, and then punts the entire castle. <laughs> Actually punts the entire castle. And when you hear something like that, it makes you wonder how Mario can only jump 90 feet. <laughs> But Wiz and Boomstick, the amazing guys over at Death Battle, actually calculated based on the internal maps of the dungeon, the internal maps of the castle relative to Mario's height. They determined that, uh, assuming a limestone composition, Mario had to have punted 61 million tons. Oh, wow. Specifically for uh, you perfectionists, out there, 61,372,830 tons. And Mario kicked it like it was a soccer ball. It's insane. I don't know what workout regiment Mario's on. I don't know what he does for leg day, but I can promise you that's a workout I cannot keep up with. Yeah, no, absolutely not. It's, you know, it's the kind of thing. I, I think there there is somebody who will probably listen to this and be like, yeah, you guys are taking this, you know, taking a video game way too seriously. But, I mean, come on. It's fun to take them seriously. It's fun to imagine what that must be like. The logistics of it. He has done it. It is canon. Therefore, we can talk about it. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's like talking about who would win in a fight between superheroes. I'm like, these are people who can't, you know, possibly exist anyway. But right. in Mario's world... He certainly does exist, and he is certainly capable of some world-breaking feats. So my number two, punting a castle that weighed 62 million tons. I mean, when's the last time you punted a castle? I ask you. Uh, it's been a while, probably the last time I played Mario World. <laughs> Although I had to do it vicariously through somebody else. That's fair. Well, I'm going to go a little serious with my number two, if I may. Oh, is it is it recent? 
No, no, no. I, I know what you're talking about, and I don't want to spoil anything quite that recent. This is a good 13 years old now. Um, you know, Mario games are not known for their story. They're not known for having like some deep, rich narrative uh, that has like something legitimate to say. But what if I told you that a mainline 3D Mario game actually did, if you work for it, Super Mario Galaxy has something to say about motherhood and abandonment and picking up the reins of your own destiny in Rosalina's storybook. And that was something that the first time I encountered Rosalina's storybook and sort of, you know, as you sort of unlock the chapters of it piece by piece and, you know, have her essentially tell her own story. Yeah. That was super affecting to me on a personal level to, to sort of uncover that and to, you know, spoilers have that reward when you do 100% the game, you get that little bit there at the very end (laughs) where you get to see, Mm -hmm. you know, her, her uh, moss covered spaceship. And I mean, it it just, it, it touches on these themes and it tells like an actual, like no bones about it, emotional story and provides backstory for Rosalina, which I think a lot of people write Rosalina off because admittedly since then she's become a bit of a side character. She is, but, but yeah, her appearance in Mario galaxy, uh, she, she is one still one of my favorite Mario characters and she does make an incredible impact. And I completely agree with you when I, when I started to unlock the chapters of that notebook, it became something that I was actively looking for how to get the next one. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, by the time you come to it and even like, even the way it feeds into the actual ending of the game, again, Mario not known for having like incredible narratives or something, but Rosalina's actions at the end of super Mario galaxy feed into and pay off things that are mentioned in Rosalina's storybook. And if, if a, Mario game, a mainline Mario game, being able to effectively tell a narrative like that, touching on mature themes, which, by the way, Yoshiaki Koizumi like worked on that like in private, specifically, like he he didn't want people to know the content of it until it was actually being implemented into the game. So he worked on that in his downtime, completely in secret, and nobody knew about it until it was actually being implemented into the game. And so, like, for all of that, the confluence of all of those parts to then have payoff in the actual ending of the game, I think is super impressive. Now, and there's a good reason he worked on it in private, too, because, and for those listening to this, if you've never played Super Mario Galaxy, Mario 3D All-Stars obviously comes out this coming week. Pick it up, because the reason he worked on it in private, there are some insane implications in Rosalina's yeah. storybook, some absolutely insane implications, things that have been theorized and essays written about like though that, like that level of whoa, did I just listen to? It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing that like is a lot deeper than it seems on the surface layer. And it's the sort of thing where if you seek it out, it's absolutely there waiting for you. And, you know, I could have talked about a million things. You know, Mario Galaxy is such a phenomenal game. You know, I, I could talk about a million things that impressed me about that game. Like, you know, Gusty Garden Galaxy alone almost made my list. Just, I mean, like like that that 
galaxy and that song. I mean, we we had that song playing at my wedding. Like I love that so much, but but the storybook at the end of the day is the single standout moment uh of Mario Galaxy for me and the way they wove that narrative. You know, again, using being able to say things like wove that narrative when we're talking about a Mario game, I think is impressive. You know what? I've got to agree with you and not just because Super Mario Galaxy is Again, my personal favorite game of all time, but uh, I mean, it is it, it is just nice to see stuff like that. I really do hope that they're able to do more stuff like that in the future with mainline yeah. Mario games. Agreed. But for my number one most impressive Mario feat moment ever, I also kind of had to go with my favorite game of all time. And not just because it is my favorite game of all time, but I think I'll make a strong case because (laughs) okay, I was initially just going to say something like Mario being able to exist within, you know, the, the vastness of space without a spacesuit, simply being able to live and not die (laughs) in that environment alone is impressive enough and almost made my list if it wasn't for one thing that I happened to remember. So, minor spoilers, but if you haven't played the game, do so. Plug your ears for the next 30 seconds. <laughs> Pick it up when Mario 3D All-Stars comes out. But And I hope you plugged your ears for like my entire last segment there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't really give anything away in the book. We just... I tried not to. But for me, I'm just, I'm totally going to talk about the ending because at the end of Mario Galaxy, Mario tanks the collapse of a black hole. That is true. Like there's punting something that's 62, 63 million tons. And then there is surviving the collapse of a black hole. And Mario just walked it off. He woke up a few minutes later like, oh, that happened. Okay, cool. Hey, Peach, you got some cake? Awesome. Let's do that. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> within the Mario canon. Like, where do you go from there? Yeah, in terms of, <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they obviously, it, it's actually kind of funny when you think about the, like, metaphysical implications of Mario's history in that way. <laughs> like, going from that to, like, being able to transfer consciousness in Mario Odyssey. <laughs> Yeah, as much as I love Mario Odyssey, as amazing as a game is, just from the insane things that happened and that you could do in Mario Galaxy, as, as great as Odyssey was, it felt almost like a step back, a step down. Yeah. Because Galaxy and Galaxy 2 were just that bonkers. And watching the end of Super Mario Galaxy and watching Mario get sucked into this collapsing black hole and watching it close in on him. (laughs) And then just a couple minutes later, he's good. He's fine. He's ready to go. It's it's like, dude, man, Mario, I salute you, sir. I mean, Mario at this point should be like, should be studied in some capacity. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Superman's like, how'd you do that, bro? (laughs) Yeah, NASA's like, we need to get a hold of this Mario guy. (laughs) So my number one most insane Mario feat of all time, the most impressive Mario feat, the most impressive Mario moment of all time was that time he tanked a black hole. 
Like you do. <laughs> like you do, apparently, if you live in the Mushroom <laughs> Kingdom and have a mustache. Well, to round it off with my number one, we're, we're here with this extravagant Mario-themed episode in the 35th anniversary celebration of the Super Mario franchise. And really, for my number one, you know, to go back to Mario Odyssey, I, I really had to default to the ultimate celebration. The new Donk City Festival. Yeah, it's great. Man, the first time I saw that, I just had stars in my eyes. Like the star-eyed emoji, that was literally me playing that for the first time. <laughs> the way that it honors Mario's legacy, not even just by like by virtue of just having the character of Pauline involved in it at yeah. all. Yeah. Like like the way that the song Jump Up Superstar has got like the Donkey Kong that dun 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 dun, dun like worked into it, like is crazy. Just that alone, let alone the fact that you begin the, the sequence in 3D and then go into 2D running along the Donkey Kong girders in New Donk City. I mean, like, I, I, I can't point to a more like a more exuberant, bombastic celebration of Mario's legacy than that. It was just perfect. And I wanted to live in it for forever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, as, <laughs> as a mission, it did really feel more like just a celebration as opposed to a gameplay mission. It felt much more like, you know, it's like an in-game party. Almost. Yes, there were obstacles that you had to jump over. Yes, there were coins that you had to collect, but it just felt so different from anything else that you did in the game and almost anything else that Mario has ever done. The closest thing that many other games get to that is at the end of the the hardest unlocked level in the world, you know, your champion's road or whatever. Right. There's that thank you for playing, you're an amazing gamer, all that stuff, but no, this is this is very much a hey, let's stop and just take a minute to appreciate how awesome all of this is. Yeah, no, it just it was just like that. You know, and then there's the build up to it of course, like finding the band members and stuff like that, <laughs> you know, scattered throughout the city and like that that was all cool, but then just that that ultimate confluence, that ultimate just there's no other way to say it. Celebration. It's, you know, it takes place at night and there's fireworks and there's glitz and glamour and, you know, just, it all just felt like just this, just this perfect opulent celebration of this iconic character. And, you know, in terms of being impressed by a moment in Mario's history, that does it for me. Like I, I cannot play that. It is actually impossible for me to see or play that sequence without smiling. <laughs> challenge failed yeah seriously i mean i like it's just dopamine just like just like condensed i mean it's just like you cannot not be happy you know watching that i mean it's just it's it's everything mario is in, in one little sequence yeah there's a lot of really really impressive moments in mario odyssey and again if you haven't checked that out and you own a switch what are you doing but come on, uh, did uh, among all the standout moments, that one does very much so. Yes, I do completely agree. Stand out above the rest. So very nice. I appreciate that. Number one, always happy to talk about Mario Odyssey. Always happy to talk about Mario in general. But 
What about you guys? I'm sure there are so many other amazing and impressive Mario moments that we didn't even get to. So what are your favorites? Reach out to us on Facebook. Reach out to us on Twitter. Let us know what idiotic people we are for missing the clearly most impressive Mario moment that you are going to share with us and the rest of the world. How could you not mention Hotel Mario? (laughs) I mean, I suppose that's impressive in its own right for shifting the entire industry. (laughs) You know, there's an argument to be made. (laughs) I mean, from a certain point of view, I guess that's fair. But, uh, you know, while while we were doing this, I was actually looking online and stuff. There's some really good Manticore saddles out there. It's a niche market, but man, I think I'm going to... Hey, little Eric, you, you uh, saddle sound good? Awesome, Seth. We're totally doing this. I mean, like, do you just is that something you just like get off of eBay? Uh, like I said, it's a niche market, but uh, it's, it's a couple sites, uh, and there's some pretty affordable options. So, but uh, yeah, cool. Uh, we're totally doing this Yoshi thing before the end of the episode. All right, man. Well, you, you got to stop li- looking at saddles for at least a little while longer because we have got an incredibly special guest joining us this week on the show. Cause you know, there's a lot to talk about with Mario, but it's somebody else's 35th anniversary too. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored to be bringing to all in right now. The man behind the most iconic villain in the history of the video games medium. The man behind the most iconic villain in the history of the industry. The man behind Bowser himself spending part of the 35th anniversary of his first appearance with us here on All In. Ladies and gentlemen, Kenny James. Yay! That was was smoking. (laughs) It's what I do, man. It's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got the bow. I got the Bowser voice of approval. I like that. Yeah, I've got my little my little six inch Bowser toy sitting here on my desk. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I use it for uh, cameos and you know other things, things like that, where I can put it up in the camera. And... <laughs> 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 nice. Well, thank That's you. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on yeah. this. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful, momentous weekend for Super Mario Brothers and the Super Mario franchise in general. We could not appreciate it more. Now, yeah, no, it's uh, my pleasure. It's uh, it's trippy that you know, at least of the thirty-five years, you know, that the of the time period that he actually has a human voice. That you know, I am the vast majority of that time, having I think fifteen years or so now, a little over fifteen years. I mean, yeah, you are the definitive version of Bowser. Been doing it since uh, two thousand five for a decade and a half now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't remember what the what month it was even that I went and did the first session. Uh, it was all it's just all a blur because I mean I was still working my jobby job at the time, so yeah, I was all like, "All right, this is my ticket out," and I still wound <laughs> up doing that job for another ten years. So. Oh wow! <laughs> oh yeah. Well, at the very least, uh, you do have over 50 credits now playing the iconic King of the Koopas. Keeps going. I've got to imagine there is some amount of pride uh, that comes from knowing that you are the man behind, again, the most iconic villain in this medium's history. 
Well, yeah. I mean, once, once I, once I actually accepted it for what it was, but like I said, I was working as a propane service tech for 13 years, you know, and most of that time I was already cast as the voice of Bowser. I just didn't really, didn't, I was like, well, I get paid for a session and then I go back to my real job and didn't really think much of it. I didn't, I would, wouldn't even mention it to people. It wasn't until I discovered the convention scene that I was all like, oh, there are actually people out there that don't even realize he has a real human voice. <laughs> <laughs> Your background is sort of, you know, in music and playing in rock bands and musical theater. And like you were just saying, you uh, have that, that day job, even while recording Bowser, it seems like you might've had an interesting path. So how did you get into the world of voiceover and how'd you come to take on the role of Bowser? The, the story started in about 2001, maybe or so. I had been in bands for years already. Uh, I used to have hair down almost to the waistband of my Levi's. And, nice. uh, wow. Yeah, there's some interesting pictures of me out there. So there's a picture <laughs> of me standing with Tommy Chong where my hair is so oh, nice. long. But and that was from 1998, I think. So I, would, I looked a lot younger and a lot thinner. Um, but anywho, I decided, you know, I was like, well, I like doing, I've always wanted to do voice thing. And I figured it's, it's a cinch. All you got to do is make yourself a little handwritten HTML website on coffee cup or whatever. And, (laughs) and, uh, put, get a website, man. When I bought my, my first domain name, I thought, geez, look at me. I'm such a big wig. So I built myself this little website. And I had gone to a voiceover class at the University of Washington, quote, experimental campus, unquote, unquote. And um, (laughs) I'd gone to this guy's voiceover class. And then I found out, okay, he produces demos. So I paid him some money and he produced me this character slash straight work demo. It was all a mishmash. It was like three and a half minutes long, which is extremely long in today's standards. And anywho, uh, I was working at my job with my service manager at this uh, house and big house. And I was talking to him about I had been doing some uh, some little uh, one liners for a guy in Canada. Well, not really one liners, but they were for he was recording, getting things recorded to make like taped freaking uh, answering machine things oh wow. uh, yeah answering machines were still in existence and uh, so i was doing uh, i was doing scooby-doo and freaking shaggy and you know new york guy and you know whatever whatever it was he wanted you know for like eight bucks a line you know he was paying me on the early paypal and uh and i so i was like hey i'm on my way and i was talking about it and the lady that owned the house overheard me and she was like oh do you do voices and i said i hear voices (laughs) you know sometimes sometimes i make them come out um but she was like oh do you have a a demo and stuff i was like yeah actually i have a website man i was writing stuff down as i hear and so she listened to the demo she had her uh 14 i think he was 14 year old son listen to the demo he thought he thought it was decent you know so so she sent the demo address and and my name over to bad animal studio in seattle and uh 
the production manager there started putting me on audition lists and they started sending me auditions and it was mostly video game stuff. Um, that studio used to be owned by um, Ann and Nancy Wilson from Heart. I think they were part owners. But wow, uh, interesting. Yeah, there's some cool stuff got recorded in that place, but it wasn't really a musician studio so much anymore. Uh, when I started going there, it was uh, it was doing foley and tele music for TV shows and and uh, voiceover stuff. Uh, but that's where Nintendo of America was was recording stuff out of. But yeah, she started sending me auditions and I auditioned like three or four characters for Sly Cooper three. And I was like, holy crap, this is a big time game franchise. I, I thought I did really good job. And, I, you know, that was the, the realization of, well, you can't win them all. So I um, got the audition email for Bowser and I was all like, all right, Bowser, that the Nintendo guy. You know, that's that's cool. And the the reference tracks that they sent me were Scott Burns's session recordings from Sunshine. Right. So uh, they actually had the script where the lines from Sunshine and the reference was Scott Burns's with without takes. I mean, it was just rolling tape, basically. And so I thought they wanted a, a voice match. They didn't say, right. but they didn't not say. So <laughs> I did my best as, you know, Mario, how dare you interrupt my family vacation? You know, it's <laughs> trying to sound as much like Scott as I could. And they hired me. So when I, a couple of weeks after I sent that in, it was, got an email from, from Wendy at Bad Animals. And it's like, you got that, you got this job. And I was all like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? I'm not ready for that. I had I had been in <laughs> studios to record vocals and everything before. I'd gone through a whole album process that fell apart. But so I mean, I was used to walking into a studio and I not be completely freaked out by everything. But I was not mentally ready to go and do voiceover. Uh, at, right. at the time, I hadn't even started stage acting. So yeah, I was I was got I got I got started. Not too late on the music thing. I think it was about 24. It was about the same time I got out of the Navy that I decided I wanted to play drums. And and uh, my first wife, after listening to me play drums for too too long, she uh, in the house, <laughs> she she said, you know, you sing better than you play drums. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. So that's where the direction I went. So and then. About the time, by the time I was about 40 before I got on stage in live theater. Wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's the long, it's not, a, that's not the longest version of this story I've ever told. I've been, been known to take up 15 minutes at a panel. <laughs> because somebody it's went, a winding road. Yeah, because somebody goes, so how did you get the voice of Bowser? And it's like, okay, well, do we have 15 or 20 minutes left? Because, you know, and all the rest of you guys that want to ask questions, might as well sit down because, you know, this is going to take a while. Um, <laughs> it's like you do the obvious stuff. You join the Navy, you play music, you go into musical theater. It's all the obvious, obvious route. Oh, isn't it? You know, when I look back at this stuff, you know, I'm 57 now. And when I look back at this stuff, I'm all like, holy shit, I've had a fairly interesting life. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know? Definitely. And now you're King Koopa. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been really bizarre. I mean, I've done landscape maintenance. I've done insulation, installation, uh, propane service tech for 13 years. Selling propane and propane accessories. Tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got a pretty 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 varied resume there oh yeah it's it's been really bizarre it's been it's been fun well you did uh, mention uh the the script getting a script and we were both kind of curious you know especially nowadays in terms of the vo side of it like yeah. what does a bowser script even look like anymore it it looks like a regular voiceover script oh wow yeah there's pages of it i i have one somewhere that that they didn't they didn't tell me not to keep and then <laughs> in, in subsequent sessions since then, you know, I'd be all like, hey, can I hang on to this? And they'd be, oh, no, we'd rather not, you know, and I'm like, oh, come on. You know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's all it's all written out and they know what they're looking at more than I do because they have a lot of uh, gobbledygook that, you know, where they know what's going on in the game. And they can tell from the little notes that are printed on there and stuff. And they're like, okay, well, this in this, you know, you're going to do this and do that and give me those. And so, you know, you just fire off all these noises and stuff. And then they're like, okay, yeah, those are good. Now do them like a second and a half. Give me five or six of those. Yeah. And, but it, what it is, is it, instead of specific lines, which is rare, I, it, rarely does he say anything in English, you know, since yeah, yeah. right. Uh, I think I've said four words in 15 years and, and wow. not even in clear English really so much, you know, it's, um, but, uh, yeah, the script basically just has descript descriptions of actions and reactions. So, gotcha. so, you know, the director will be like, all right. Uh, so just for, uh, just for an instance thing, it's like, yeah. Okay. So you're driving your cart and you've got short bumps. So give me a bunch of short bump stuff. And then they'll be like, okay, so now a bigger, bigger bump, you know, flying a little higher into the air, make those, you know, two, you know, second and a half or, you know, and you're thinking, how am I measuring a second and a half in my head while I'm going, <laughs> right. so it's a weird, it's a weird thing. But, you know, one of my, one of my ad libs wound up in uh, Mario Kart Wii. That's one of my favorite things is uh, oh. because that was way early. I did. Uh, I want to say that I did one session for Mario Kart Wii and Galaxy at the same time. Wow. Oh, wow. And okay. I think that's the way it went. I mean, it was almost 15 years ago, so it's, I don't, I, that's the way I remember it, but, you know, who knows? Anyway, yeah, we got to this point where he was like, okay, so if you win the race as Bowser, and at the end, in that particular game anyway, usually all of them somewhat, they'll be just driving along after the race and, and yucking it up because they won. So Bowser's got his claws in the air and stuff. And, and so he's like, give me a bunch of celebratory reactions, you know, just just go until you can't go anymore or whatever. And I'm, <laughs> so I'm I'm going and I'm I'm firing off things and and I start running out of uh, steam, you know, not not necessarily air or voice, but I was running out of ideas. 
I was like, I'm starting to repeat myself. And I basically just thought of the nah, 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 nah thing. And I, went, <laughs> I you know, so I, I, I went. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And it was just off, you know, it was like, I was just running out of stuff to do. And then when the game finally came out, I was playing it and I won a race as Bowser and, and it randomizes what it does at the end. It doesn't always do it. And right. when it did it, I was like, wait, what? That was, a, that was an ad lib because I was just running out of stuff to do. And they used it in the game. And it just cracks me up still to this day, even thinking about it. I'm all like, that's so bizarre. That's almost <laughs> as bizarre as, as, you know, somebody having my, my autograph tattooed on their arm. That freaked me out. <laughs> hey man, you're you're a part of Nintendo history, man. Yeah, no, it's just really weird. <laughs> really weird. They should have me over for sushi and tea. I, Absolutely. Yeah, they should. Oh yeah, I get that question a lot. You know, it's like, hey, have you ever been to Japan? Have you ever been to Nintendo in Japan? Have you ever met Mori Morimoto? <laughs> no, they have not had me to tea. Nor nor have I met Doug Bowser. So. <laughs> that seems like something that needs to happen. That's gotta happen. Especially when I was living across the sound, you know, from Nintendo. Right. You know, he could have had right. me, he should have had me over for lunch. And, you know, we could have had a uh, Bowser meets Bowser uh, photo op and it would have been really cool. I mean, that just seems like it writes itself. Uh, I thought so. But, and he seems pretty hip, you know, from the videos I've seen of him and, but uh, yeah, I thought it was a hoax at first. You know, somebody sent me a message going, hey, did you see this? And I was like, no, that's just Facebook. It's like, no way. <laughs> you know, and they were like, maybe they were asking me to verify it or something. And then I read an article about it in a real live, you know, trade magazine or whatever. And I was like, it's a real dude. <laughs> what a coinkadink. Serendipitous. Yeah, what a coinkadink. Yeah, I can be iRacing. My, my name on iRacing is... Uh, Kenny Bowser James. And so I, I go to get into a race one night. It's like in the middle of the night. And this guy gets on the comms and he goes, Hey, man, that's really cool. Is your middle name really Bowser? That's freaking awesome. <laughs> and I was like, no, I just, I've just been doing his voice for 15 years. And this guy's like, wait, what? <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, you're you're playing you're playing expensive Mario Kart now, buddy." <laughs> Freaking eye racing and a this sim rig that I've been building. It's still not finished yet. But anyway, that's awesome. I think we just all kind of had an idea that a Bowser script was just like you know, grr parentheses angry. Next line, grr parentheses sad or something like that. But you know, yeah. I mean, in a way, I mean, I haven't seen. I haven't seen that script. I don't pay much attention to the script really, even when I'm in there. I'm because the, the director's going to tell me what he wants. You know, it's, it's not like I have to read words so much. I was going to say, you know, at least Mario gets to express himself with words. I mean, how do you approach a character like Bowser and continue to approach a character like Bowser who can only express himself with grunts? That's, and yeah, that's the thing is, is uh, physicality has a lot to do with it. Right. You can make you can make Bowser sound sadder by by slumping and being sad physically, you know, because if they're like, OK, you just got your kicked, you know, and and this happens and that happens. And then, you know, most of the time I don't have video to work with uh, every once in a while. They'll have some rough cut 
uh, from the game where it's it's a complicated sequence or something, and they'd be all like, "All right, so we're going to show you this, and then here's what the idea is, and let's see what we can get." And uh, which is, you know, like the opposite of cartoons. You know, cartoons, you 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 record the voices first, and then they animate over the voices, but yeah, it's 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 a bizarre, bizarre thing to do. The whole thing about standing in in a little room, you know, with headphones on, and it's making noises and screaming and and you know, like well, with the with the anime dubs, uh, I have a lot of fun doing it. It's a li- it's it's way more involved than recording Bowser, but once again, see, it's the opposite of normal animation. Because right. the animation's already done, but we just have to put English voices on it. Sounds simple, but it's it can it can go on sometimes where you're like, nope, that was too long. Nope, that was too short. You know, nope, you said that word wrong. <laughs> but it's it's all a lot of fun. I really like it, like a lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're very happy for you that you get to be able to do what you do. Do you, in terms of liking it a lot, do you find that you get to have more fun when Bowser is kind of in his more comedic roles? Do you do you prefer when you get to go more like full on villain? You know, I there are instances where where I've had a lot of fun that was painful. Mostly, what always comes to mind when somebody asks a question along this line is uh, is Meowser. From 3D, yeah, yeah. Meowser was really painful. Like it's it's probably the hardest I've ever pushed my voice. Ever, I it may have been physically more difficult than and I you know I was in a in hard rock bands so there were were times I'm screaming third octave stuff. You know, I mean I've hit I've hit in in rehearsals and and or auditions I've hit a high C. And oh. that to me is was easier than Meowser. And the really? only reason, it's not really making it's not really making the sounds. It's just having to do it for upwards of two hours. Right. Well, here hearing goes the, the script thing again. They they said, OK, next page. And I turned the page and up in the, the little name block, it said Meowser in little quotation marks. And I, was, <laughs> and I said, Meowser, that's. That's hilarious. What does it mean? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So they explained the power up and I said, what do you want him to sound like? And and they just, you know, click the talk back and go, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, all, I was like, all right, here, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be talent. So I thought about it and I said, well, just give me a minute to think about it. And I, you know, and I was like, I was just talking out loud. and. I was like, yeah, he can't be, he can't be little kitty cat meow, even though he's going to have whiskers and little kitty ears and, and a tail and, and even more claws. So I was like, can't be all, can't be like that. That's not going to (laughs) work. So I thought, how about a larger cat? You know, I can't go tiger because that sounds too much like Bowser. So I thought, what about like a bobcat or a mountain lion so i started thinking all right well humanly not i don't i don't work on doing a lot of animal stuff there's you know there's so many voice actors out there that are so good at making just all kinds of strange noises 
Um, D. Bradley Baker is one of them. I was just going to yeah. say, man, D. D. Baker. I to watch him come up with some of the <laughs> noise. Right. He, he's doing all these screwy things with his face and his hands and pushing his mouth around. And anyway, so I thought, well, just a, a mountain lion kind of sound. Just... And I was like, that's human enough. It's it's cat enough, but it's not Bowsery enough. So I combined it, uh, rolling out of that into that super deep gurgle, growl thing that I don't know where it comes from to this day. <laughs> but you know, I I added the two together, and it was <laughs> so. That's that was the basis of of Meowser, but working on that game. Uh, it was pretty close to two hours for the Bowser bits. And that was after I had been oh. doing some regular game stuff. Just a buzzsaw on the throat. Uh, it, yeah, I could, I could, and I, I say it all the time. I was like, I could taste blood. Oh, and I, I don't think it was coming from my vocal cords. I think it was from my throat. Uh, because a lot of that thing that I can get, uh, I think it's more vocal folds than vocal cords but i'm no scientist so but anyway they got they got beat up really bad and i had the a second session and when i came back in i said first thing i said when i walked in the control room was i said what about the meowser stuff and they said well we're translating an email from japan right now it was fairly early in the day and i was like all right <laughs> <laughs> So I sat there waiting for them to finish this translation. And then somebody walked in and said, yep, yep, they loved it. So moving on. And I was like, oh, man, because I was so worried I was going to have to try to do something different. That I was super glad that we were able to grab everything in one pass and the Japanese approved it. And that's awesome. So, yeah, it was a big relief, major relief. <laughs> That's well. That's definitely something where you you sort of were able to put your own unique stamp on the franchise. Is that would you say that that's something that you're you're the most proud of in terms of what you've been able to add to the world of Super Mario? Yeah, I think that I think being able to char characterize something like that, and I and I was super glad that back um, they brought Meowser back in uh, Mario Maker Two. Right. So yeah. I was like, wow, I thought he was going to be a one off. You know, it's. But uh, you're able to you're able to use him in Mario Maker too. So um, yeah, no, I'm 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 pretty happy with that. I was really I was really jazzed with um, with uh, Odyssey and everything too. I haven't even finished Odyssey. I haven't even seen all of the stuff that I did yet. But I've seen some of it, and I just I'll pause the game, look over at my wife, and go, "Doesn't that sound cool?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "It still I, it still sounds like me." But, you know, little magic fairy dust over the board, you know, and then it sounds even more Bowsery. But, you know, I was like, God, man, that I can still tell that's me. You know, I love this. This is this sounds so cool, you know, and I want to die so that I can just play that part over again. You know, it's like, all right. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's it's really bizarre uh, living as Bowser. People at stores around here that 
have have either asked what I do or or you know the, I'm wearing a Bowser T-shirt or something, and they're like, "Oh, I love that." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm the guy." <laughs> <laughs> but mostly, I don't just walk around and say it. <laughs> well, we have talked a lot about Mario 3D World and specifically Meowser, and admittedly, we'd feel a bit remiss if we didn't ask if you were afraid maybe you were going to have to be putting too much strain on your voice in the near future for the potential new content coming to the re-release of Super Mario 3D World. Is there anything at all, any insight we can glean from Bowser's Fury at all? Yeah, no, I I don't know anything that's going on about redoing it. I don't think they would need to. My my biggest future want to know is is about the movie. So Right. I don't know anything. Yeah. Uh, as much as I wish I knew, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the Nintendo ninjas have their hands on their katanas as we speak. Well, yeah, <laughs> and and, I, I, and the the whole process has been slowed so much. I mean, right. the, the original word that came out was that it was slated for 2022, and I don't know that that's going to happen. You know, I right. Mean, I don't know that it's not going to happen, but since everything else in the the world of film and entertainment got slowed down so much, except that with animated work, it is a little different. I mean, people can work separated a lot more than actors and camera guys and grips and all that jazz. You know, they have to interact, but I still think it would slow the process down so much because they can't work in one place. But so uh, yeah, so we'll see. No, I don't. Uh, I don't. Uh, I, I think that anything that they port, you know, everything's getting slowly ported over to the Switch. Uh, I don't think that they'll change anything. It's just, but well, we're certainly excited to see what it looks like when it does come to the Switch. Yeah, I, I want to. I still have my Wii, but I don't tend to use it for much except like bowling. But you have had opportunities to play most of the games that you have provided the voice for Bowser in, I assume. Yeah, I have the opportunity, but I, I never finish it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, actually, well, though, I, I did finish Galaxy. Uh, I'm working on Odyssey, but I don't spend a lot of time on it. I spend a lot of time doing U-boat operations and, uh, and driving <laughs> in my, my uh, sim rig, racing and, and driving big trucks in American Truck Simulator. <laughs> well, but, when you do have occasion to play things like Mario Kart or, or even Smash Brothers, is Bowser typically your go-to character when you do play them? Yeah, yeah, especially with Kart. Um, and Kart, you know, I like the 3D games. Um, I like running around. Uh, it can be really frustrating, as, as any open world kind of feel is, where you you got to go and find something. It gets really annoying to me, but uh, with Kart, yeah, I'll play as Bowser, and and people are like, yeah, but he's so slow. And I go, he's <laughs> he's slow, you know, off the line. But you know, if you can keep your momentum up, I'm always telling people hit the acceleration pads religiously. But once you get that momentum built up, he drifts pretty well because he's heavy. And as long as it's not a super sharp turn, because if you can keep your speed up and drift. And then I dare somebody to get in my way that doesn't have a weapon because I'm going <laughs> to just knock him off the track because he's real good at that. You know, with all that, all that mass, you know, just bouncing people off the track. And if, 
If you can maintain control in your speed, then yeah, he's formidable. And he'll mock you at the end by going. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely going to go have to uh, go back and have to play that again. Yeah, it was Mario Kart Wii. It was the first kart game on the Wii. (laughs) And and they use that ad lib still cracks me up. (laughs) Well, now that we're uh, now that we've reached the 35th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers earlier in the episode, we personally talked about what the series and what the franchise has meant to us personally but even maybe more so than just a paycheck uh what has the world of super mario brothers kind of meant to you um you know it goes all the way back to the beginning of well maybe not the beginning of video game you know history but close to it 1985 i was still in the navy and my first wife got the Nintendo Entertainment System, the the whole setup with the with that game and the, that stupid robot with the spinning gyros. <laughs> um, I had all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, since 1985, uh, I I was in right there at the the first year that the system came out and was playing Mario and Duck Hunt with everybody else. So. But then, you know, I thought the something like um, the Nintendo Entertainment System, that, that was going to be the end of it. You know, I was like, this is the height of modern technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It always feels like it when they come out, doesn't it? It does. It does. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> and now I sit here with, uh, you know, a tiny computer that I can carry around in my pocket. And... Uh, you know, I've got this sim rig that, the you know, force feedback and and these pedals and butt kicker attached to it, so it shakes around and stuff. I don't have full motion yet; it's way too expensive for me right now. But all this stuff and it's the it's just the, it's the technology, the whole thing. You know, I mean, I could go right back to I can turn right back into Nintendo and and say, look at look at Odyssey. Right. Um, yeah. I I love the way Odyssey turned out. I like the way it sounds. I like the way it looks. Uh, I'm still lost. Uh, <laughs> I get lost. I'll be like, did I do this already? Wait, I think I did this already. You know, so many power you know, moons. There, way. I mean, I would have people come up to my, my table at a show and and there'd be some kid like, yeah, well, I, when I finished Odyssey and I was like, yeah, that's great. I have about, <laughs> I have like 45 moons. They're like, is that all? and i'm like hey kid i don't have time to play this all day you know well your labors have definitely not gone unappreciated for the past uh several years yeah you know and i i really do appreciate that since i since i finally got out to conventions it's only been a couple of years you know when i found out that oh wow you know there's actually a fan base that i didn't even realize existed until i started I got curious about Charles and I started like, Oh, let me see if I can find out about this guy that does Mario. It was before I met him. And so I, I was like, Oh, look at this. He, he's signing autographs in comic book stores and, and these uh, comic cons or whatever they're called, you know? So I'm glad I discovered it because now I've been able to, I've been able to interact with the fans, you know, it's, uh, they they bring me stuff, you know, they'd be like, oh, look, I drew this, you know, and I have a pile of that stuff that we we just recently moved. And 
I don't have anything on the walls. I it's a rental, so I don't know. If, I don't like poking holes in rentals. But um, <laughs> it's fair. I know if it's in this, like we want to try to fix it. But uh, yeah, I get fan art. You know, I get a I get a lot of requests for things that I can't do. But you know, it's been like this weird thing about it's finally started to die down. But the whole Bowsette thing and oh right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to, you know, I had to, I had to take Nintendo's, you know, tack on that. You know, I was all like, uh, yeah, no, there is no, there is no Bowsette. There is only Zool. So, <laughs> so you know, I'll get, if somebody comes up, you know, in, in Bowsette cosplay and they, they want to buy a print to autograph, that's fine. But I, I won't, I won't autograph a Bowsette thing, uh, artwork or, Anything like that. It's like, nope, I said Nintendo, it's not canon, dude. It doesn't exist <laughs> in Nintendo's world. So, <laughs> I, I mean, Nintendo came out with a, a written statement that was all right. like, no, this doesn't, this doesn't exist. The, the Super Crown can only be used by Princess Peach and Toad, I think. So, Toadette, yeah, yeah. Toadette. Yeah, yeah. So, so they were like, no, that's it's impossible. It doesn't exist. So I have to take the same stand. <laughs> Very serious. <laughs> that's, like, that's what I, that's whenever, you know, I get a panel and the moderator will be like, okay, is there anything that I shouldn't, you know, should, we shouldn't touch on or anything? I'll just be like, yeah, Bowsette. I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, people, because people will invariably stand in line for half an hour to ask a question at, at a panel. And then the, they'll go, how do you feel about Bowsette? And I'll be all like, uh, I don't feel about Bowsette. <laughs> and then, then uh, you know, that's a boring, you know, that's a boring answer to a question you shouldn't have asked. So, yeah, the moderators will be like, don't ask any questions about Bowsette. <laughs> and I don't even care. I just have to take the same stand that Nintendo did. <laughs> you know, it's it is kind of funny because you know it is obviously we're celebrating Mario's thirty fifth anniversary. It is also Bowser's thirty fifth anniversary. Yeah, sure. So, you know, and, and hopefully we we've got you around providing the voice for for another thirty five years. So you know, I know it's pretty far out, but what would you like to see happen to the big guy in the next thirty five? You know, I think it would be it would be really uh, groovy if uh, they could do a full on uh, game that is just centered around Bowser. Right. No, I mean, I get that from fans too. They're like, do you think there'll ever be a, a Bowser game? You know? And I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> That'd be awesome. But, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not good at making up, you know, Bowser stories, but you know, I mean, I imagine somebody could come up with something, you know, to where he's the primary character and in, instead of Mario or Luigi or, so. Yeah, he certainly had some playable appearances over the years. Things like Mario RPG, things like yeah, uh, Bowser's yeah. Inside Story. But in terms of like an, a, a primary starring role, it would be really nice to see something like that. Yeah, actually, you know, Bowser's Inside Story. That's that's two of the four or so words that I've said in English are both in used <laughs> in that in that title. I think the the loading screen. I think uh, ah. where he goes Nintendo. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, and then Showtime, you know. So just so constantly, I get that all the time, man. Like Showtime, I'm like, Showtime. 
So yeah, I think that would that would be cool. But uh, what I'd really like to see from Bowser is you know my name on the credits for the movie. That would be that would be good. <laughs> Let's make it happen. That man. would be amazing. That would definitely well, I think be amazing. The, I think the fandom might come unhinged. You know, if if they do something like I've made jokes about it before, where I'm like, I can just see it. They're gonna they're gonna cast Michael Keaton to be Bowser. <laughs> so it's it's gonna sound like Beetle Bowser. Because, you know, not, not to, not to short him at all. You know, I've like, I like his characters a lot, but I think that if he did Bowser, it would probably sound a lot like Beetlejuice. We can't let it happen. We have to. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag Kenny James for movie. Yeah. Henny, Kenny James for Mario, Super Mario, the movie. I forget what it's going to be called. Uh, they probably actually don't have a s- solid title yet. But. Well, Mr. James, again, we just want to thank you so, so much for spending the weekend of the 35th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers with us here on All In. We could not appreciate it more. Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's been great. And ladies and gentlemen, if you want to follow Kenny James on Twitter, Instagram, or Cameo, Kenny James Bowser on Cameo, Kenny James Bowser on Instagram, Kenny James Bowser on Twitter, Bowser with no E on Twitter. Yeah, I had to shorten it because they don't have enough characters. A character limit. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, the man behind the most iconic villain in the history of video games, celebrating the 35th anniversary of his first appearance with us here on All In. Once again, the amazing Kenny James. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, that was an awesome chat with Kenny James, the voice of Bowser, King Koopa himself. We definitely appreciate him spending this awesome momentous occasion this awesome 35th anniversary celebration episode with us uh deeply appreciate him for that but uh hey where'd you where'd you go off to oh hey yeah sorry i just i I walked to the door for a second i heard somebody at the door i thought it might i thought it might have been the saddle i ordered online you you just ordered it you think it was already going to be delivered i don't know maybe it could be like you know a drone or or just something some newfangled delivery service i don't know but uh turns out it was just the the newspaper again uh it's well what huh what huh oh what what is it um so uh so you remember last week when you know funny story uh little eric kind of uh, attacked the paper boy? Uh, uh-huh. Well, it says here on the front page of the paper, local paper boy sues Manticore. Wow. Uh, buddy, I think we're being sued. Nice. You know, I thought we were going to have like a physical, actual real world mess to clean up, not a legal mess. But uh, yeah, I guess little Eric better lawyer up, huh? Well, uh, that's an interesting development. Guys, uh, I think. Seth and I should talk about it, seeing as we're, I guess, technically the parents of the defendant. Yeah. Let's try to figure out how we're going to deal with our defense. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for our 35th anniversary Super Mario Brothers Spectacular. I have been Super Eric 128. And I have been Jump Up Super Seth. And we will catch you guys next week. Thank you so much. Bye, guys.